0: tell you something though, you know, I just turned forty two last week. I do think my hair my hair won't grow long anymore, Casey. Oh, interesting. It like stops. Huh. Right above my boobs, and all I ever want is mermaid hair. You know, like kind of for your nipples with your hair, and yeah. also the nipples are. Maybe it's also maybe my oh, hair. The nipples maybe it's are my lower. hair, Maybe it's my nipples yeah. are lower. Yes. Oh my yeah. gosh. Sorry. Of course.
1: Sorry. To, sorry. You had to have that epiphany <sighs> on a podcast. A fucking bummer. For talk me. about clickbait headlines.
2: <laughs>
0: Um,
3: okay. Hi. I sent these. Hi. Comments. How are you? Well,
0: Chris, Casey will tell you that the first five minutes of any podcast is me returning emails, just taking care of some mm-hmm. lighthouse keeping and some business
3: um, that I need to do. Take your time. Today. Do your thing.
0: Listen, and here's the thing today, I was like, we have a special guest. We have, you know, I mean, like you deserve respect. And Not I was really, well, listen, I was entering into this planning to give it to you, and then just, I got I got, I got got sidetracked with a thing, and then I had to do the text and send the screen grab of the proof of the whole thing. <laughs> it's a lot being the parent of a teen, but here we are. Podcast has started.
3: Listen, if I was going to, if I needed respect in the entertainment industry, I would not still be doing this after 21 years. If I expected <laughs> dignity and respect, do you think I would still be doing this?
0: That mind. is... That's a great point and one that I also should consider for myself.
1: Here's what um, I will say. I, can, I, can I interrupt? Because we always just sure. roll into the podcast. I think yeah. in a way you did give our special co-host today, Chris, comedian Chris Gethardt, Thank respect. You. Thank you. Because before we even started the podcast, as you were doing your emails, you asked his parental advice on the email you were sending. And that's a Correct. type of respect. Correct. It's not like, you know, it's not show business. Here's your mm-hmm. VIP green room and cheese tray mm-hmm. respect. But it's like, you know, you're a smart guy. You would be smart about this parental thing I'm handling. Mm-hmm. How would you handle this? It's a type mm-hmm. of respect. And that's and m- knowing more
0: valuable I- than cheese. And even knowing what I do, that Chris only is has been a parent since 2019. <laughs> I still
2: yeah.
0: was yeah. like, what do you guys think? I should say. I'm I don't know if I nailed the tone, Casey. I might have sounded too angry, but
3: we'll see. Way say. out of my depth. You did seem pissed. You did seem <laughs> pissed. I get why. But I'll also I'm not, say this.
0: I'm not, I'm not pleased about it, you know? I, just, I would I'm also like, say I hate this, it.
3: Though. We've all done enough things where you get on with someone who you're just meeting and it's like, oh my God, how are you? This and that. And, they, and we all know what those things are. And But then to go, hey, I got this shit I got to deal with at school. Give me a minute. You know what that is? Yeah. It's a, That's a real human being in a real human being moment. It goes a lot further than the cheese tray, so to speak. So let's keep that in mind, too. Okay. Keep that in mind, too. All right.
0: You know what? I'm really doing my best, guys. I'm living (laughs) up to the name of the pod. Busy Phillips is doing her best. It's me. It's Busy Phillips. You heard Casey St. Ange being professional and introducing our guest, Chris Gethart Hard. Gethard, Gethard was Gethard. Gethard
3: plagued me. Gethard did plague me for many years, as you'd imagine. Gethard is mm. how it's
0: spelled. Gethard It is.
3: Gethard. Yeah, Gethard.
0: Okay, Gethard.
3: I'm not sure why no I one in my family's it... ever changed it, but we haven't.
0: I always thought seeing your name over the many past 20 years, I always thought it was Gethard, Gethard, or get get. I always did think it was a hard T. Yeah. Always thought it.
3: Many people do. Many people do. Um, nope. Real soft, real real soft TH sound in the middle there. And many, yeah, a, third. Bully, many a bully starting around fifth, sixth grade sunk <sighs> their teeth into that one.
0: Uh, it's hard. My name is Busy. I got a lot of stuff too.
3: Yeah, I bet. I bet. You
0: guys, most recently, I was- Moderating this panel at the Tribeca Film Festival for Tina Fey and Robert Carlock and the and Meredith Scardino and Jeff Richmond, the executive producers of Girls Five Eva, and it was like about television and their. You know, their their company and about the show and blah 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 And then afterwards there was this little we had this little dinner. It was a very small dinner. And it was at the hmm I'm new to New York, Chris. You know, I just moved here in September. Um, the Greenwich. It was at the Greenwich Hotel. And who is there in the corner but Mr. Robert De Niro himself?
3: Wow. You know. But, welcome to New York.
0: Welcome to New York. As Taylor Swift said they've been waiting for me anyway so we were with some of the the people that run the Tribeca Film Festival and so Mr. De Niro stopped by the table to say hello and then I I was introduced to him and he was like are you busy busy and then I was like (laughs) I can't believe he just fucking did it. Like, it's the thing that I've been getting my whole life. And I wanted to be like, oh, dad, like, don't <laughs> do that. Like, grandpa. But I didn't because it was Robert De Niro and it was really exciting. And I and then he immediately like caught himself and was like, that is you've gotten that your whole life. This is. He did. Uh, I, I, he saved Yeah, it. he did. He saved it and I was like, I know, but I've never gotten it from Robert De Niro. Thank you. And then it was (laughs) nice. And he just like, and he like put, you know, had his little jaunty cap on and left. Um, But anyway, Chris Gethard, thank you for joining us.
3: It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, you're welcome.
3: I just left (laughs) New York. I just left New York last year after 16 years.
0: Oh, wait, you guys moved? You're
3: out? I'm in New Jersey now. So I'm still in the New York in terms of entertainment, I'm still a New Yorker as far the as tri-state where I do my stand. area. Yes, as far as where I do my shows, but I I moved out to the woods. I moved out to the because woods
0: because the pandemic.
3: No, we bought our house before the pandemic. I Ah, yeah. A wild I, story. Well, we had a baby and I was pretty burnt if I'm being honest. Like I've been working at a pretty relentless pace in New York for uh many, many years. Mhm. And it was kind of killing me. And, you know, that the city is like the best, most beautiful place. We lived in Jackson Heights, Queens, which is like, I, I can't imagine a more amazing neighborhood to live in in my life. Vibrant. Also, oh, and like every kind of food, every type of person, all the things you want out of New York. But then also like I, uh, you know, saw a subway masturbator at two in the afternoon on the F train one day. Yeah. And, I was once carrying my stroller down the subway steps and a woman pushed me because she was in a rush, like like grabbed the stroller and pushed me up against the railing while I was like struggling. I was going, ah, I have to really think about, I I am not someone of uh, the means to raise a kid uh, comfortably in in New York Mm. City. So I think I got to go someplace that's a little more chill because I can't stay above the fray and I'm starting to really feel like I am in the fray.
1: Yeah, yeah. When we lived in, um, we lived in Park Slope in Brooklyn, and after nine eleven, we were trying to decide, like everyone was, oh, are we going to stay? Are we going to go? We're going to sell our place in Brooklyn, and there were like, for once in our lives, the pros and cons list were pretty even. And then I was at work, and my husband had our son in, and I was pregnant. My son had, uh, my husband had our older son. In the park and uh, he texted me, I am texting you from under a park bench. A gunman just chased another gunman <laughs> through the park. So we are moving out of New York City. And I was like, yeah, that that feels like a sign that feels like listen. sometimes
0: more- a city gives you a fucking sign. Yeah. And you got to take it. That's what happened to me in L.A. You know that, Casey. Yeah. Yeah. Our listeners at home don't know the full sign. And you may, ne- until I write what another book, guys. What a tease. I know, but you yeah. know what? I can't get into it. I can't get into it. Although. A couple one signs. Thing I to- well, I had, a co- I had a few signs, but then it yeah. was like very clear that I was to get the fuck out of there. And then we did. And all this like amazing stuff happened when we got to New York. And it just felt like, well, we're, we're, we're here. We're meant to be here. We're just going to do it. Um, but ours was more 2020 driven than anything else, I would say, our exodus.
3: I know I'm into having a toddler, which you guys having been parents, it's like everything that New York offers kind of gets cut off at the knees when you're raising a toddler because it's like this idea of, Like the idea of like, oh, you might just randomly run into a friend and spend a couple hours with them that you didn't expect. Or like you might just get a text and be like, fuck it, I'll drop on, I'll jump on the subway and meet up with you right now. Or like, hey, we just, I just finished doing shows, but maybe we should just, there's a late movie. Let's just like me and a bunch of other community, like all of those things that are pure magic about New York, where it's like you you legitimately don't know how the days are going to end and you might wind up seeing someone you haven't seen in a long time or going and doing something that you never would have Knew existed eight hours earlier. Like that's just not that's just not feasible when you're raising a I, toddler. It's just no. not.
0: And can I tell you something? I don't. Un- I mean, you I, you have to be. I think just insane or super super rich to have babies and toddlers and small children in this city. It is to me. I see people with the strollers, and I'm like, I don't know what you're doing. It seems bonkers. To me, it's a lot. Um, it seems like just so much. L.A. was like magic. You everybody has a yard and all your shit is in your car and all the ba- <laughs> the ba- it's so easy. And even then, it's almost impossible. You know what I mean? Like having kids and um, whatever. So my point being, our kids are at very different stages in their lives now. They're like preteen, teen And what this city has afforded them in terms of, like, exactly the stuff you're talking about. Magic. As an adult, magic. Like, for my kid to feel the freedom of being able to walk to the bodega with their friends and get snacks and maybe, like, you know, see a guy masturbating. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, I mean, mean, that'll be a memory that lasts forever. Anyway. I think it's like, I'll be curious when your kid in 10, I'll be curious in 10 years how you feel.
3: I, well, my wife's an artist too. So I I go back and forth for stand-up shows a lot now. My wife is, you know, of the Broadway world and from the music world. So I think she's going to go back a lot. But for now, we just need to get this kid kind of up and running and in a life. I mean, when I was on the F chain, I, I remember I, I've, been, I've been working on a, a joke about it, but it's very, very true, which this guy got on and he sat down and he started playing with himself over his sweatpants, but like going for it. Yeah. And, and we all just saw it. Like you saw there like 25 people on the car, 30 people. We all saw it. And I was like, all right. And no one said anything. And I was just like, it's fair to say like, that is where the bar is set in New York. Like if you're going to keep it in your pants, just, all right, I'll wait till my stop. Like, just don't (laughs) actually take it out. Like, please. Like, like, and my son wasn't with me on that, but I remember so distinctly realizing, like, if my son was with me, like, that's the other thing, too, you realize that, that raising a toddler in New York, so many situations where I'm like, oh, I can no longer just walk away. Like, I can't just, like, wait until we get to Herald Square and then sprint up to the next mm-hmm. car. Like, if I had my kid with me, I legitimately might have to, like, fight a maniac now. I might have to kill a person. And you sit there and you go, and you're totally okay with that. Let's also be clear too, as a New Yorker, you're like, oh, if my, at that point, my son was probably six months old. I'm like, yeah, if my six month old was with me and this guy got up and started coming toward us, I guess I'd have to kill this guy. And you go, oh, I can't, it's not how you live. It's not how you live. Constantly really, about yeah. killing and surviving. <laughs> I it really makes you realize
1: how vulnerable you are, especially like getting up and down the subway stairs because there didn't used oh. to be um, elevators, you know, for which is horrible for disabled people, also horrible for moms with strollers. And um, it really will often bring out the very, kind side of New Yorkers. But a big muscly guy will very often come up to a mom and say, Let me get that and just t- fully take your stroller from you and uh, you know, just chug up the stairs with it. And you're like, well, if you wanted to just run away with my baby, he totally could. But you, <laughs> you know, you just let them because you're like, yeah, I don't want to it I'll say this. If you have a light baby in New York, you can maybe make it if your baby weighs like under eight pounds, maybe. But if you have I had heavy babies and you you cannot fucking make it in New York City. I had such... No. I had if such heavy children. If you have heavy a hefty children. baby, fuck that. No way. Mm-hmm. And then I tried to, like, carry my older son on the front carrier. And he, uh, like... Oh, my God. He would... I cannot tell you how many um, people's uh, trench coat belts he would chew on the subway. Like, I would always just look up and he would be, like, chewing some uh, financial analyst's Burberry trench coat belt. And I would just have to, like, Well, pull the fact... That. I
0: mean, here's one thing I do want to say... Cricket, who's eight this week, turns eight this week, my little one. Still, I will turn around. Like, at Disney, we just went to Disney World. We took the kids to Disney World. And, like, I will turn around and Cricket will be, like, licking a post or something. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, why are you, why is that chain, like, that's holding the crowd back in your mouth? Like, why, (laughs) what is happening? You know, like. That part is still worrisome to me, especially especially <laughs> with Cricket, because I do feel like she just like absent mindedly just like like puts her dirty little fingers in her mouth constantly. I don't know. Um, but wait, guys, I want to talk about Disney World. Okay, mm-hmm. let's hear it because that's what I did, Chris. I took my kids to Disney World.
3: I, I know went recently as on well. I the- love it. You did? Love it. Yeah. Yeah. <gasps>
0: Oh wait, Chris, I love that you love it. I wouldn't from your stand-up and stuff would not expect that you are a person who's into Disney.
3: Work. Yeah, I think Disney's pretty great. My mom is one of those people who has become like Disney obsessed in her old age. Like her we visit them and they moved to Florida to retire. They're in the Orlando area. Like their silverware has like Minnie Mouse cutouts at the ends of the every <laughs> fork. Like they're my mom's a Disney person. They have annual passes. Oh my god, passes. I love your mom. Yes, yeah, it's I love wow. my mom too. She's the best
0: That's <laughs> nice to hear as a mom um and a person who hopes someday my children won't blame me for everything, although I'm very much prepared for that eventuality um so Casey, where do you stand on Disney? Are you in? You're out? I know you did the Disney cruise when the boys were little, and that was very important and a good time for that you. That was actually
1: a Nickelodeon cruise. That oh, was well, then, uh, then, never mind. Yeah, a Nick cruise. Um, my mom is also a Disney lover. Um, I did uh, a lot of the TV shows that I worked on, uh, did the show like a week of shows from Disney. So I got that like super deluxe, like Disney experience Ooh. where you have like a basically a concierge that puts you right on the ride and Let's you don't have real. to be real. That's wait. how
0: I did it too, guys. Like, yeah. just, yeah. we're going to so, just. We're
2: just going to be out in the
1: open here about (laughs) how I managed to do it. (laughs) So the first couple times uh, my family went as like adults, Um, that's that's the experience that we had. And then we went like the regular way and my kid was like, what? Like this is, this is not (laughs) great. Wait, did I ever tell you about the Tower of Terror about... (laughs) When we, when we went, we went like we, when I worked at Rosie, we had the, you know, you get right on the ride, you have like an ambassador, basically, like, like a Disney ambassador puts you right on the ride and you get to guide. go. A Disney guide. A Disney guide. You get to go a million times on whatever ride you want to go on and you have a great time. Um, then we went as a family, my older son Eli, uh, I don't know how old he was, like maybe eight years old. Um, And uh, we went to MGM studios. Is that where tower of terror is? Mm -hmm. Well, they changed it to Hollywood studios now. Mm -hmm. Hollywood studios. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, that he really wanted to go on the tower of terror and it was uh, out of commission. Um, it, It was like temporarily closed. And so he kept going to check if it was open. Is it open? Is it open? And the guy out front kept saying, no, it's not open. It's not open. So finally he was like, what's happening? Like, uh, this is the whole reason like I wanted to come here. Um, What's happening? Like, when can I go on the Tower of Terror? And the guy was like, listen, I'm not even really supposed to say anything, but I think like a girl had an aneurysm on it (gasps) or something. Oh my God. And my son goes, well, I'm going to have an aneurysm if I can't go on it. (laughs) And then the the guy was like, okay, I'll... uh, I'll contact you when you can come back when it's open again.
0: Wait, that's wild. I love it. Okay, so I did, so I got hooked up with the guide. Disney has always been very nice to me. I've always loved them and like posted about them before they gave me anything for free. And, but I had like, (laughs) just, I'm just saying, because that guide is, guys, if you have to pay for it, it is prohibitively expensive. It is so, so insanely expensive. Um, but they said like, they would make a deal with me. You know, they know that I'm going to Instagram about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and then also I did like a little video thing for them because it's their 50th anniversary coming up. It's the like the parks, the parks are turning 50. So I like, the first day we were there, before Epcot opened, I went into Epcot and there was like the Disney Press team, and I did a little video, which apparently Shailene Woodley and Aaron Rodgers had just done as well. Ooh! In exchange, um, right. so guys, this is what I'm saying to you is that like I know that people are like rich people get all the free shit, and that is true, but also sometimes they ask you to do stuff in return, and I was happy to do it. All right. Is that relatable? No. Anyway,
1: the it's point being right. this. It's not relatable. At, at
0: all. I get it. Yeah. But listen, we got it all hooked up, you know, and I did my little bit and then we were, we were good. <laughs> Guys, if you know anything about me, you know that I love having my nails done. Um, I love a fresh coat of polish me on too. these little fingernails and on my toenails. And uh, and then, you know, when the first lockdown happened, I was like, oh, no, what am I going to do? <laughs> and this is a true story. Olive in June, which is an amazing manicure pedicure salon in Los Angeles, came out with these kits, the Manny system. And oh, my God, it is the best manicure do-it-yourself at home salon perfect nails every time each at home mani comes out to like basically two dollars right which is a lot less than going into a salon and most of the time DIY manis you know look like a five-year-old painted your nails right (laughs) they've come up no they have come up with a system Well, I don't even know how to explain it to you. You have to get it. It's like... That well, little cap thing. Yes. Yeah, sorry, here's go what ahead. I want.
1: Here's no, I just want to say w- using the Olive and June Manny system is so amazing because it's a woman-owned company and the company was so thoughtful when they were inventing this Manny system in like how it works when you're trying to paint your own nails. So there's a special silicone attachment that goes on the top of the nail polish cap. Right. It's like a little brush hand doll. Yeah, that makes it like very easy to steady your hand and yes. to hold on to. And the brush is flat and perfectly works to paint your nails. And, and the, it just And the nail polish is such good quality and such good colors. And it like um, settles onto your nail perfectly, mm-hmm. like glass. And then the manicure lasts like the, I've had my nails painted for like 10 days. No chips. Anyway. Guys, we're obsessed. You have
0: to try it. The Olive and June Manny System, it's the secret for salon-perfect nails at home, all in one, no guessing, no messy nails, and, I mean, no salon price tag. It's a lot cheaper. You can now get it even cheaper. You can get it 20% off your first Manny System with our code BEST, B-E-S-T, so get 20% off your first Manny system when you use the promo code BEST at oliveandjune.com. Olive and June, O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E.com and use our code BEST to get 20% off of your first Manny system. You're going to love it. The colors are so cute. Sakara life, Sakara life.
1: What do you think? I think that was good. That was very gentle.
0: <laughs> it felt gentle because you know what is gentle on my digestive system? A Sakara life reset. Yes. That was a, I mean, honestly, I feel like that seg was worth everything. Yeah. Um, guys, you know, we've talked about this before. It is a true, I will say this, I will just say this. There are very, 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 very few and far between things that we advertise on this show that we, one of us, has not used personally IRL before they even became a sponsor on the show. Sakara is a nutrition company. It focuses on overall wellness starting with what you eat. I have been a Sakara. uh subscriber, I guess. I don't know. What do you call it? A, a user? No. Yeah. A sakara customer,
1: client, customer. lover. Oh God,
0: a cu- customer. <laughs> customer, client, and lover are three words that are better than the four I came up with. <laughs> I have been a sakara customer for years. Uh, they have organic, ready-to-eat meals that are made with powerful plant-based ingredients and are designed to boost your energy and improve your digestion and get your skin glowing. I love doing it. Uh, before I have like a big photo shoot because I know my skin's going to look great. I'm going to feel great. My IBS will not be flaring up um, because they have a menu of creative, chef-crafted, ready-to-eat breakfasts, lunches, and dinners. It's like giving you more of what your body needs, more of what's good for you. It's not restrictive. Um, It's the idea that like you're nourished body is your best body. Along with delicious plant-rich meals, they offer daily wellness essentials, supplements, herbal teas to support your nutrition. You know, Sakara has received rave reviews from everyone. Don't listen to me. Listen to Vogue, Goop, The New York Times, and more. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to Sakara.com slash Busy or enter code busy at checkout. That's Sakara. It's spelled S A K A R A dot com slash busy to get 20% off your first order. Sakara dot com slash busy. We had a great time. It was super fun. And, um, it was real, insanely hot. Um, but on the way there, Casey, I don't know if you saw this. Um, like our plane, which I was like, for the first time ever, I'm so close to Florida. I live in New York now. I've always been, Florida's always been like impossible to get to from the West Coast. Like I could never, you have to like stop in Dallas. I don't even know. So close to Florida. Well, first of all, something happened. And the traffic getting into the tunnel, whatever, we were running so late and we were flying JetBlue and then we made it and they were so great. And they're like, yay, you can go, go get on the plane, walked on the plane, sat down, you know, and then it was like doors closing. Basically, we're so excited that we made our flight. And then we were just like sitting there on the runway and then the pilot came on. Actually, I want to say this. I was traveling with just Birdie and Cricket um, because Mark had done the wildest, kindest thing ever, which was that Birdie's longtime best friend, B was supposed to come with us with her mom from L.A. And the kids haven't seen each other for um, a year. And even then, they, like, saw each other only very briefly a year ago. It's really since the first shutdown. Those kids, like, haven't seen each other. And just, like, it's been a lot. You know, it's been really hard for all of these kids during this. I don't have to tell anyone who's listening. It's been hard for everybody. But I really do feel terrible for, like, the teens and young adults. Anyway. um, But then B's mom, Kelly Oxford, who was a writer on our show, who we love, like, Got this job interview type, like pitch thing that she couldn't move. And so couldn't come, couldn't bring B, like couldn't do it. So Mark flew to LA, Aww. picked the kid up, wow. <laughs> and took and met us in Orlando with B the next day on Saturday. So I'm with, I mean, it's the nicest thing ever. And it was so amazing and it was so good to see little B. Um, I love her, that kid so much. But anyway, we're on the plane. I was, I had my um, noise canceling like AirPods in immediately because I was like, I don't want to hear any complaining about anything. And because we're going to Disney World. And Bernie's like, that noise isn't normal as we're taxiing. That noise isn't normal. I was like, Bertie, I think it's just like the engines just make weird, loud noises. I don't know. And then legit three seconds later, the plane has just stopped. And then the pilot comes on and he's like, hello, like you may have heard that noise. That noise is not normal. And (laughs) it's coming from the left side. So we're just going to go ahead and I'm going to run a few diagnostics, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Two hours on the ground, on the plane. Didn't let us off on the plane. And at a certain point, Birdie, Chris, my older kid, has, um, you know, has like a, like, as we, I mean, as we all fucking, who doesn't, has a lot, and I know you relate to this, has a lot of, like, anxiety and can get, like, sort of, like, it can, things can be hard for them, you know? Yeah. And birds started to kind of like panic at one point. Like they have to let us off. Like we can't just keep sitting here. Like they have to let us off. And and started like spinning up a little bit and I could see it happening. And the other thing is like, there are multiple ways of coping, but because we had been so late, I like didn't have any snacks on me. I didn't have any drink, like water or any drink or anything to give Bertie. So I was just sort of like trying my best to help talk them down and through it and like what was happening, whatever. And then I noticed this woman in the row in front of us to the right. So Bertie's on the aisle. So the woman's like on the kitty corner aisle. First of all, the lady has that thing on where you have your text really giant because you can't, you don't want to wear reading glasses, even though you need to admit that you need reading glasses. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I do. Yeah. And I can see that she is texting a group of people. Busy Phillip's daughter is on the flight and is freaking the fuck out. And I was like, all right, bitch. Like, I'm gonna, like, I almost, so Chris, this is like what you're talking about. So then you have a choice. I'm like, do I cause a fucking scene and get kicked off of this plane and like make it a whole thing. And I, and then <laughs> this could have really fucking backfired on me, but I was like, oh my God, Bertie, look at that fucking lady's text. And Bertie saw it, of course, because anyone can see it because homegirl needs glasses. Anyway, you could see it 10 rows back is my point. And Bertie was like, ugh, Hey, that's so gross. I was like, yeah. Bertie's like, I'm a child. Like, I struggle with mental health issues. That's something that she thinks that I should, that should be um, taken to the group chat. It snapped Bertie right out of the panic. And they were just like, this woman has some nerve, like, who's <laughs> totally righteous and indignant. And then, I was like, okay, like I wanted to say something, but I also wanted to just get the plane moving and get to Walt Disney World. So I was like, here's what I'm going to do. Birdie's like, what are you going to do? It's like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk about it on my podcast. And (laughs) Bertie's like, yeah, you are. (laughs) Okay, deal. Um, So I'm talking about it on my podcast. And Lady, I'm putting you on blast. I don't know if you listen to this podcast, but also, guys, just like for anyone out there, like if you see a person... That is, I don't know, just trying to parent their children. I don't know, maybe that's just like a thing, like keep it to yourself. I don't even know. Which brings me to the second thing, which is the resurgence of the like Gawker Stalker by way of that site, Dumois, Casey. Chris, uh, do you remember Gawker Stalker?
3: I do remember Gawker Stalker, but I don't know Dumois.
0: Right. Well, I didn't either. And then I did Bo and Yang's podcast. And, and he was like, you know, you're on, you've been featured on Dumois, like blah, blah, blah. blah. And I was like, what the heck is Dumois? And it's an Instagram account that's essentially Gawker Stalker, where people just write in where they've spotted people and what they're doing. But, and I don't know. I don't know. I, I have lots of feelings, but I do feel this all of the ones I started, like, kind of looking through it after they told told me about it on the podcast, so many of them are, like, um, you know, Busy Phillips, like, eating at this restaurant with her kids, a non-please. And my feeling is this. If you're going to be the fucking asshole who, like, puts people on blast for being in public and, like, living their fucking lives. I don't think you should get to be anonymous. Because I don't, you know? Yeah. What do you think? Am I I wrong?
3: I'm with you. I am not a very famous person. Like, I've always been very big in the underground and then occasionally come up for air in the mainstream has kind of been my (laughs) MO with the the career stuff. And there was a stretch where, because I I had a public access TV show for many years that kind of became a cult hit and eventually became a cable show. And I remember having that very, I, I was aware how funny it was while it was happening. They had posters for the TV show all over the seven train line, but I lived on the seven train line and I was not <laughs> famous or I was not rich enough. Like I wasn't getting cars every, everywhere. Like I couldn't afford that. They weren't sending them. So I'd be on the seven train pulling in and out of stations and there'd be big pictures of my head. And I was like, Oh my God, it's so uncomfortable and like funny thing. But but the dark side of it is like, I remember there's one a lot of people love and I, I get why it's good, but I showed up on there once where um, they'll do things where it's like pictures of celebrities. And I was like so low level compared to anyone else who's ever been featured under it. And it was a picture of me. And it, the caption was like, Oh, it looks like we all found out Chris Gethard bites his nails. And as soon as I saw the picture, I remember thinking to myself, I remember that exact day, and I was biting my nails because I was watching this person point their phone at me, pretending they weren't, and it was driving me completely insane. And I was nervous. I was, like, really nervous and really scared. And my, I actually had an incident. It's, it's so funny that we went down this track because I mentioned the subway masturbator and raising a kid. One of my big personal breaking points with New York City was – there was a stretch there. Like 2017, I had my TV show on the air. I had an HBO special come out right in the midst of that. I had a podcast that kind of it got featured on This American Life. So it was like this 18-month stretch where like if you've heard of me, it was probably for something that happened within 18 months of my 41 years on Earth. So it was very intense and positive in 99% of the ways. But I was once eating in a diner um, on 10th Avenue and 58th Street, I think. And... I was eating by myself. I was like in between stand-up gigs and I come from Northern New Jersey. And if you know anything about Jersey, you know, diners are like churches to people who grew up in Jersey. (laughs) You have your neighborhood diner, your favorite diners. When you're in high school, that's where you owe every weekend night. You wind up at the diner with your friends. Like that is a safe zone, you know? Yeah. So I'm eating there and I was reading an article on my phone and all of a sudden uh, I got an alert that I've been tagged in something. And I open it up and it's Facebook and I have been tagged in a photo in a very nice group of fans of mine, um, which I'm lucky to have and I'm flattered to have it, but it's a picture of me eating in the diner that I am currently still (laughs) in. No, No! real time. Yeah. And it says, guys, look who I just found. Let's all guess what he's eating. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, there's someone in this place right now who took a secret picture of me and I don't know who it is. And it really freaked me out. And I'll tell you what, I couldn't shake it. And my wife was going, look, you've worked really hard to get successful. You're finally getting to a place where this is happening. Think of it as a sign of success. Even my shrink for a while was kind of like, you keep bringing this up and it's a little, she didn't say this word, but kind of like a little... Like, get off the high horse. Like, you're complaining about being recognized. You know, <laughs> right. like, and I get it. But then I, I cracked the code with my shrink because she finally was like, why aren't you dropping? I, and, and look, like, I've been very public about it. Like, I, I really, for a, a big chunk of my life, I was in a dangerous place when it came to mental stuff. I really was. And there were a few years there where I was on a medication called Risperdal, where if anybody out there has heard of it, it's an antipsychotic. Yeah. And the, the root cause was because I had like really severe paranoia. Mm. And anytime mm-hmm. I drove, I would think police were following me. I constantly thought like people were following me. And my shrink, she nailed it so hard. She goes, I've realized what's going on. And I go, what? And she goes, when, when someone's taking clandestine photos of you, she's going, you're having this sense memory that you're insane. Yeah, it's because your worst for, fear. Because well, And she goes, because a f- for a few years there, you thought people were following you around and spying on you and shit. And it's that is the memory. That's the feeling you have from the scariest stretch of your life. But she goes, it was so brilliant. She goes, you got to realize it's okay to be freaked out by it now because it's real. She goes, right. you're having the sense memory of something that wasn't real. And it's scaring you because it's a feeling you never wanted to feel again. But now the feeling's real. So it's okay. It's okay to be freaked out that someone's taking pictures of you and you don't know who they are or where they are. The problem 20 years ago was that it wasn't real. And that unlocked a lot for me. But... That was that was like my version of that and it, it it really freaked me out. And just for the record, I was eating an egg white omelet with spinach <laughs> and whole wheat toast and a vanilla coke. Okay, um, that honestly oh sounds gosh. delightful though. As that a sounds meal.
1: very good. I mean, what I have always had a really Sort of weird relationship with, you know, when uh, when I worked for David Letterman, you know, everybody knew where the Ed Sullivan Theater was. Everybody, people would wait to, you know, sort of have contact with him when he was leaving he the office. He famously had a
3: stalker, too.
1: He he had so many stalkers. I mean, he, he had the famous one, but he then had so many. And there was just something about him that would make a woman pack up her children and all her belongings and drive across the country to, um, professor love to him for whatever reason. Um, and that was part of my job to like keep track of these people that were sending letters and just keep an eye on how that was going and, and talk to security about it. But, um, But so he would he was always really, you know, sort of cautious when he was leaving. And and if he was in a hurry to leave at night, he would sort of like hunker down and baseball cap and, you know, sort of reduce his height to scurry off to his car to, you know, just so he wasn't so, so recognizable. And very often at night I would go to his car with him, but I'm nobody. So who cares? But one thing is that he would also often put us on the show back then because that would, you know, you'd get paid to be on the show and that would like double your salary for the week. And so I never wanted to be famous, but I wanted to be on the show because I wanted to get like twice the money for the week. And so that was exciting to me. So I'd be like, yeah, I'll be on TV. TV for twice the money hell yeah and so there was one night where we were leaving and he was you know in his coat hunkered down in his collar and uh a guy like jumped out and grabbed my arm and said oh my god it's you you're my favorite character on the show and dave is such a dad and he was like no <laughs> You know, he like instantly gave up trying to be unseen. And he was like, she's not a character. She's a real person. And you waited here to ambush her. And that's scary. And you touched her. You do not. And of course, he like made him apologize. And I was like, oh, my God, like I, you know, I would have. But it was scary. And he was right. And then that gave me like a real taste of like what it is and how weird it can be. I mean, listen, Dave loved to make people apologize. He also made Duran Duran apologize to me one time for like shoving past me on stairwell as well. well that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah, so it gave me like a real taste of like what it was like to have.
0: But Chris even said it. Like, there is this idea that has permeated the culture, which is like, you're so fucking lucky to be there. You need to take this part of it along with it because you're just lucky. You're just so lucky to even have people that want to talk to you, that want to be fans of you, that want to take pictures, clandestine pictures of you in a diner in Paramus. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, the idea that because what we do is is rare and 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 that we you know rely on people liking us and rooting for us that then we have to like be okay with having people take weird stalkery pictures of us like i i just reject that idea i've never treated somebody that i'm a fan of that way i would you know what I mean? Like, well, I, I think just it's wouldn't unfa- do it. I
1: think it's unfair I wouldn't because text I my
0: friends like Jessica Alba's on my flight and her kid is freaking the fuck out. You know what I mean? I think, that it's, never unfa- happened, I but, think it's
1: unfair because I think, you know, you're in the course of Chris, your comedy, you're going and you're performing for people. And that's like a transaction that they've you know, they want to come see you. They're a fan, but they haven't paid to see you at a diner. You know what I mean? And if that's exciting for them, they can take it in. And, you know, that's like a personal, if they want to come and say hello to you in a way that's respectful, that's, I mean, that's a judgment call or whatever and how you choose to receive that. Or if someone wants to see you or say something on a flight, busy, but that's not part of, that's not part of the agreement of what you're giving as a performer. So then to like report on it and make it part of the transaction, I think is kind of, it's kind of unfair, especially to do it in an unkind way. This week, Monique, the comedian Monique was, I don't know if you guys know, she was kind of in hot water with a lot of people because someone sent her a picture. She's been on this kick of like that women, I think, black women should present themselves a certain way when they're in public that they should they should look make an effort to look nice and Wait, you know she's
0: saying that yes that that oh, okay they okay. should you know that know about this, they but... should be
1: dressed nicely and have their hair done and oh. and so which is yeah, fine Monique. that's like that's an opinion that she has and but somebody sent her a picture of a woman who in their opinion wasn't dressed nicely in public and Monique posted it Oh, and no. was like, you know, and it was basically like a creep shot of this woman who didn't consent to being posted to like millions of people. And, you know, and and so that's like, that's also kind of like the same thing, like in reverse. You know what I mean? It's like. Well, that's. Yes. And that's the whole thing,
0: like where people, you know, do these like Twitter threads or whatever about. I mean, sometimes it's about celebrities. Like, I think about the one that affected my life personally. Yes. <laughs> but um, but then sometimes it's just like, you know, like those two random people on the airplane that the people are sitting behind and they're like giving the play-by-play and the whole thing goes viral. And then these two people like get off an airplane three hours later and they're at the center of some fucking cultural moment that they did not consent to being a part of. And they're just like, uh, okay guys, like... You don't know my situation. You don't know what's going on. I think that people like boundaries have have started to, um, you know, fray.
1: Yeah. They really haven't. I think I think also people's brains are like a little broken around like the technology. People are well yes. We were, we were just talking about everybody has these cell phones and you know, it's a little printing press in your pocket. You don't realize how powerful it is, how quickly it can help you spread something, and you're not in control of how I'm sure, Chris, I'm sure you've gone viral many times with well, you talked about it in your in your special Um, half of my life, you talked about how you did this joke about Gatorland yes, in Orlando and you, it's a really funny bit about this amusement park. You tell it, you, you say, because I, well, I, it's,
3: I, since my parents do live in Orlando or outside of Orlando, um, I've I've gone there a lot, and we don't go to Disney World every time because you know it's a lot of money, and you want variety. And my wife and I once went to a place called Gatorland, and it's just this like amazingly old school, like no rules. You walk in, there's gators everywhere. You can buy hot dogs and just throw them willy nilly, like no, what? Not even like here's the area to go feed the alligators. so yeah, have fun and they have a gator wrestling show and uh, they have a zip line that goes over the gators. Like that's part of your thrill is like, Oh, we're going to dangle you like meat above the gator. So,
0: Oh my God.
3: (laughs) I did a whole bit about basically comparing Disney world and Gatorland and how (laughs) the whole bit was like, you know, Disney world is like a very corporate experience and Gatorland's like the real like true, like, you know, sawdust on the floor, Americana, old school. And I worked on the bit for years and I did it on a, a show on NPR once. And they had told me, oh, the show doesn't um, get archived. So I was like, oh, cool. Then I don't need to burn the joke after I'm done with it. And didn't realize it was a massive show. It was called Live From Here. It just got canceled, which was shocking.
1: But like millions of people heard it.
3: Yeah. yeah. Suddenly. Yeah. All of a sudden it went from being like a joke I'd been kind of working on 'Cause I was gonna put it out on an album someday. So nah. like, oops, didn't realize a few million people just heard this and now the people the joke is about know about it. Yeah, they have every right to know about it, but I wasn't <laughs> anticipating this being the way they found out. Uh oh. But then it, it it worked out well because in the special they actually we actually developed like a a friendship and uh my special ends with me performing that that joke for thirty alligators and no humans. <laughs>
1: Luckily, um, they were excited. The alligators and their caretakers were excited. But about I definitely
3: it. exposed a place and uh, had a moment of, oh, God, they're going to hate me. They're going to be so mad at me for doing this. So I was on that side of the line. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, okay. I told a story on The Tonight Show with Fallon years and years ago about this crazy vacation we had taken into the jungle in Mexico. And I did not name the place. And my friend Irene, essentially like a jaguar, like attacked her room the first night (laughs) that we were there. And the people were like, there's no jaguars here. That's not, it's not possible. It was a tiny raccoon. And we're like, (laughs) it was, Irene is like, you guys, I am not crazy. It was a giant cat. It was a <laughs> jaguar. It was a giant black cat. And we looked up like it was like there wasn't um, oh, this was so long ago. Like, I feel like we didn't have like good smartphones. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like we couldn't even get like the the area if the area was known for jaguars. But in the um little like library, bar place, they had some, like, books about the area, and I fully found that jaguars were in the thing, and we showed it to the guy, and he was like, no, no, no. It was a raccoon. I'm (laughs) telling you, it was a raccoon. (laughs) The raccoons are pretty big. And I'm like, no, no, no. Okay, whatever. And so then Irene was so freaked out, and this couple who had been, who was staying at this small jungle place overheard, and they're like, wait, we'll take the secluded, like, hut, because the one that we're staying in is like kind of in the middle of everything and we wanted to be alone and we knew this because they had been fucking real loudly (laughs) since we got there and everyone could hear it so anyway irene was like great i'm happy to take your room let's exchange and then we didn't see the couple again until four days later we're getting on the boat to go back to the mainland whatever to go back and the guy the boyfriend was like Hey, did you hear what happened to us? We're like, no, what? And he's like, giant jaguar jumped in through our window and I had to break a wine bottle and chase it out. (laughs) And we're like, are you fucking kidding me? And Irene's like, I told you guys! Anyway, it's a great story. So the point being, I told that story on Kimmel and then cut to like three months later, I ran into the actress Lake Bell. At at a thing in Los Angeles. And she was like, Hey, so weird. I just took this vacation to this like jungle resort and they asked if I knew you. And they were like really upset that you're telling lies about their resort. And I was like, <laughs> What? Like, what is happening? I was like, first of all, I did not say where I was ever. This predated Instagram. So it's not like it wasn't anywhere except for. The story that I just told you that I told almost exactly the same on Kimmel, not Kimmel, Fallon. You guys, whatever. It, they're all named Jimmy. <laughs> I don't know. It was Fallon, not Kimmel. It was Fallon. And, and I never said the—I didn't even say, like, the, the Providence in Mexico. I didn't even say, like, anywhere near where we were. I just said a resort in the jungle in Mexico. Anyway— they were real mad about it. They reached out to Guest Lake Bell.
3: I had a you know? <laughs> similar I had a similar one that I, but I think I did the right thing by them. I so 2017 my wife and I we were we were trying to get pregnant. We knew we were like uh not going to, you know, we we knew that we had like one big vacation left in us until baby time and then things were going to change. So we went to Sri Lanka. It was Oh. We looked up, it, the time of year we were traveling, it was like, okay, the two places in the world that are warm right now and that don't have Zika are Sri Lanka and New Zealand. And we kind of flipped a coin. First of all, the most incredible place I've ever been, I feel like it was pure actual magic and everyone should see it. I want to just make sure everybody involved in Sri Lanka tourism knows I'm all about it. Shout out tops. That being said, yes. my wife loves yoga, very into it. And she's always said it would be very good for me. And I've never been able to stick with it. I've tried it a handful of times. And she found this place where we were in this beach town and there was a yoga instructor where you, it, it was It was like something out of fucking Indiana Jones. You had to walk up this giant staircase up the side of a mountain and you get to a Buddhist compound. It's like a bunch of temples and buildings and stuff. And there was a guy teaching yoga up there like and an outdoor pagoda. So I'm like, all right, if I'm going to do yoga.
0: Yeah, this is the place.
3: Climbing a Sri Lankan mountain to a Buddhist compound and doing it outdoors above the ocean, like magic. So we go. <laughs> and here's where there's a very important piece of information where I can show you guys on the Zoom, but they can see this. Do you see how my elbows don't really like straighten correctly? Do you see that bone? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I have this joint condition where I was born with it. I've never done a push-up in my life. I've never done a pull-up in my life. My arms, like, lock up, and my knees have a similar thing. Um, My hands are, like, I have some joint stuff. So that's always been part of my self-consciousness with yoga, where I'm like, I can't do a lot of stuff. And my wife's like, it's yoga. You take it at your own pace. Chill out. Of course. So I go, and I'm in the back, and... This guy's teaching yoga, and this is like a lot of yoga people. I mean, they're also in Sri Lanka climbing a mountain to take a class. Like, this is clearly a priority for them, and my wife's already good at it. So I'm in the back, and he has someone who's clearly like, a, not like an assistant teacher, but clearly a student who's there every time who he trusts. And he sends her to the back with me to like re explain the exercises so he doesn't have to slow down too much for everybody else. I appreciate that, but. So we're pretty deep into the class and he has us doing a very basic downward dog. And then the next thing I know, he is standing next to me saying to the class, I want everyone uh, else to turn around and watch this man. And everybody else stops and I'm doing my shitty downward dog. And he goes, on a scale of – of one to 10, how would you rate the form of this downward? And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. and all these, everyone's so quiet. And then someone finally had a pity is like, I don't know, maybe like five. And he's like, let's be honest. This is a one. Okay, buddy, you're going to want to do this and that. And I'm sitting there trying to go like, I can't do it. And he's like, no, 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 adjust like this. And I physically cannot do what he's asking me to do. And it finally just like kind of awkwardly stops and moves on. And I was so humiliated, so oh humiliated. My God. And then after the class, my wife went up to the guy and gets in a shouting match with the And She's like, I've been trying to get him to do fucking yoga for years. You think he's ever going to try this shit again? That's not. What... And then we leave and I do have North Jersey in me in a big way. So we're walking away. I said to my wife, I go, I got to say something or else. I'm just going to be pissed the rest of our vacation. So I go back. And I walk up to him, I'm like, dude, you don't, that was completely fucked up. And he's like, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you, I'm not walking away without an apology. And he's like, yeah, I, I made you feel bad. I'm really sorry about that. And I start to walk away and he goes, but the thing, and he starts to kind of just, and I turn around, I go, now, no butts. I was like, you motherfucker, no butts. You're fucking full of yourself. No fucking buts. I don't want to hear your butt. And he kept trying to, and I, we, I was like, legitimately, I'm not a fighter and I'm not claiming I am. But I grew up a (laughs) fighter and it was coming back out. And I'm like in this guy's face and it was bad. And I left a TripAdvisor review in a rage (laughs) and I put it on Facebook. Oh my God. On the vacation, on my personal Facebook, not like a public thing. Like I'm like, I have one of those ones that here's the Chris Gethard one. And then here's my one that's just like friends from high school and my family. Yeah, yeah. And I checked it the day after it went up and it had gone viral it was like like a oh. thousand likes and comments and people who were in the class saying that's not what happened and then other people going i was in the class too it kind of is what happened and this and that and i said oh my god i'm destroying a small sri lankan business in a buddhist temple i should take this down so i took it down despite the viral nature but it was a very funny completely rage filled thing so it started to really move i said who do I really want to be in life? Okay, I don't wanna I don't wanna wreck a small business in Sri Lanka. I don't want to do it. So I took it down. But I did, I did eventually tell the story on Colbert. So I got that out
0: of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do have to say, like, it is that is that is a part of why I think people, you know, we do have this like direct line to get the thing out when we feel we've been wronged. And then the trick is that like, I guess sort of like everybody could always feel wronged by everything. Some people do feel wronged by everything, you know? And so the temptation, like the pull of the internet of doing one of those threads or just like, you know, airing your grievances publicly, for the world to see. I mean, they generally don't go viral, but I'm sure it was very well written because you're, you're a great writer.
3: I was in the zone.
0: I was, pissed. In the zone.
3: I was pissed. I was pissed. Do you rabies. write
0: great? Do you write? Do you? Okay. Casey knows this about me. Do you write great fucking angry emails or letters at
3: people? I do. I've gotten better about not sending them. You don't but, send them. Yeah. Me too. I, me too. I will write them out sometimes. And, uh, both my mom and my wife and I don't do this because it's too tempting they keep them in the drafts folder they'll oh, have that's the,
0: crazy they'll
3: have the nuclear option they'll have the mm-hmm. I have it sitting there edited it says exactly what I want to say and if I get pushed if I get pushed another two step too far and I just want to end a relationship I can click send at any moment I can't do that I can't have access to a weapon like that so I let them go I'll write them out I'll let them go
0: I mean, I have gotten so much better about letting them go, but I also did kind of let it let a lot of my anger inform my book writing. So I suppose I didn't let that shit go. But that's the place for it, right?
1: I guess so. No. I don't know. I have to be careful about the drafts folder because I've accidentally sent the angry email when I've not Ooh. intended. I've also accidentally copied the person when I've been bitching about them to other people on the one time I did it like fully to an executive that had like not bought an idea that I thought was a great idea. But I will say it must have been like really effective bitching because somehow he apologized to me and it was like Like, a really, I felt, like, very powerful in that moment because I was like, this is like a man apologizing to me when I'm fully wrong. He must have been very terrified in that moment. Felt good. Felt good. I
3: I sent an email to my manager uh, bitching pretty heavily about my agent and did not realize I had accidentally hit reply all (laughs) instead of reply. (laughs) And the agent I was bitching about read it, as did his boss and Whoops. i felt but here's what i'm going to say great.
0: sometimes i don't know or sometimes people need a little bit of a fire lit <laughs> it,
3: it did work out that way where the it, the boss was like it's good for me to know this and we're going to get to work and the guy was like yeah it sh- it, i i have screwed up and i did leave that agency shortly after that so it all worked out okay but that was a moment of actual like oh no, Like, cause that's what a manager's, as far as I can tell, a big part of having a manager is just to complain about your agents, right? Like that's part of their job.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out what everybody
1: does and why they take so much, but
0: that's just, <laughs> that's just me.
1: I'm Harris, sure all of them individually me. feel like they take so little, but then when it adds, it all Almost adds adds up up. to 100%. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Well, well, should we we say what we're doing our best? Sorry. Same. Yeah. I was going to do it
0: because I already said what I'm doing my best at this week, didn't I? Which was
1: not choking that lady out on the plane.
0: Yeah. Keeping it together and deciding that I was just going to tell the story on the podcast. Yeah. Maybe it would lead to some interesting conversation, which I think it did. Yeah. I also just, I just want to be clear about a thing. And I don't know, Chris, you can chime in how you feel about this. But when when people, I took, I was with my family in Disney World. Uh, several, like, fans came up during the time when I was there and, and were very sweet and sort of, like, keeping it low, trying to keep it low pro, but did ask for photos. And I was like, of course, like, let's take a quick selfie. Like, I get it. That I I in no way am not happy or grateful or enjoy meeting the people who respond to the work that I do or this podcast, especially lots of podcast fans. Casey, I just want you to know, like literally almost everyone who came up to me was like, I love the podcast or anyone who said anything to me. was like, busy. We love the podcast.
1: What did they say about what they say about me? Um,
0: busy. Casey knows so much, and she just <laughs> has so much knowledge. And you're so lucky to be partnered with her. And I she's, hope that she continues to work with you because she really makes you better. This is what my mom. She's said, just Chris. saying what
1: her mom says about me, Chris. That mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. what people say. My mom's obsessed
0: with Chris, but it is also what people say. You are a wealth of knowledge, and I am lucky to be partnered with you. That is However, very nice. But I'm just saying, like, people are like, "Girls, I have a podcast." But all of this to say, I'm not like opposed to. Having people say hello in a in a sweet and like and gracious like like nice way like normal normal I guess I don't love uh someone taking a weird picture of me when I'm like in the middle of you know eating a Mickey ice cream thing and posting it online like I would much rather pose for a photo with you than have you take some creeper shot of me that I'm not aware is being taken. And also don't text your friends about my kid.
3: <laughs> the yeah, kid I mean, stuff in particular is over the line.
1: And it's like, hard. Yeah, it sucks. it's sucks. A, it's a weird situation because, I mean, listen, I'm going to be like real, real talk. Biz, if you and I were at a restaurant and we saw someone having a parenting moment, I don't know that you and I wouldn't be like, oh, that person looks like they're having a rough time with their kid. I don't know that we wouldn't do that. If it's weird because in that situation, that person had a name to put to the person and their child. Well, and the text
0: very much felt like they were passing
1: judgment. Make your text small if you need to talk about it, but also (laughs) like... Also, yeah, like realize that, like, you're talking about someone that people know about, and that's like not information that you maybe want to pass. I think it's weird because I think, oh my God, <laughs> wait, I
0: also forgot the best part, which was that Birdie in that thing said to me, also, do you want to tell that lady that she misgendered me? And I was like, oh, this is a great point, kid. Yeah. This is a
1: great fucking point. Yeah. I mean, listen. Just be careful. Just be treat people the way you'd want to be treated. Also, to be fair,
0: we'd been on a fucking plane for an hour and a half with yeah, no snacks and no water and yeah, my kid is twelve and has panic. Like, come on. I think we did a great job.
3: (laughs) I I feel too like when people are like, oh, people who've been on TV complaining about getting recognized from being on TV. I get it, and I think things like kids nobody wants to see a picture of themselves eating. I can tell you that nobody wants that. You don't want to see a picture of you holding like a burrito up into your mouth. Like you just don't it's, but to me, I, I also go, I get it. I do get it. And I don't want to complain too much, but I'll also tell you on my end, like, my career does remain small. And some of that is because I haven't gotten auditions that I've auditioned for. Another part of it though, is (laughs) I haven't gone to LA and done pilot season in over 10 years. And I've chosen to do that. And I, when my podcast became like a source of income, I said, Oh, thank God I have a safety net where I can stay off the grid a little bit. And I don't have to chase TV stuff as much. And Right now, I mostly act, and then when I get enough to get my health insurance and my pension credit, I start really thinking hard about how much do I want to do, unless it's something that I'm really passionate about. Point being, like, um, I, you know, everybody's always told me you've never gone and lived in LA for even a stretch of time. Like, what are you doing? And then I sit and stress about my career. They go, "It's kind of on you." I go, "Yeah, I moved out to Western New Jersey. Like, not even, (laughs) not even one of the town, not even Maplewood or Montclair, where all the city people go. Like." So I go, yeah, I get it. I get it. But also, I think I think maybe sometimes people would be surprised at like um, – and I'm I'm low level. I, I was once at Disney World. To loop it back around that, I was eating with my mom. And a guy came up and said, hey, didn't I see you on The Office? And I said, yeah, man. He said, any chance I could get a picture? And I took the picture. And then he's like, so what are you doing here? I was like, oh, I'm eating with my mom. And he's like, oh, that's your mom, huh? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, what rides you been on? And I'm like, uh, you know – tell him a couple of rides. Yeah. dude, have you been here? I'm like, and it's hitting a point where I go, I, I don't see my mom more than a couple times a year. I kind of want right. to sit down and eat with my mom. And, and, and I do scale things back. And I sit here, I go, I was on two episodes of the office. I was, I was on, and one was just like a <laughs> two line callback. Like I sit here, I go, man, like I've opted out of doing a lot of stuff and it's makes me financially stress out that I don't, Two more. And then I sit here, I go, what's it like for Rain Wilson? What's it like for Jenna Fisher, for John Krasinski? Like I can't, if I get recognized this much for being the guy who tried to hit Oscar with a pipe in season nine, when Carell wasn't <laughs> even on the show anymore, I didn't even get on the show until Carell was gone. What's it like? And, and I feel like um, there's a lot of people in that boat. And I go, yeah, I get it. I get people don't want to hear You know, TV people complain about. I've, I've, I've opted out a lot because I don't want to see myself in pictures in a diner anymore. I can't handle it. I get it. I get it. And that's the thing, right? Yeah. There's a certain line. There's a certain line.
0: I do think that, like, yeah, like Casey to Casey's point, like, what, whether you're on TV or you're like a person witnessing some wild thing you know, on an airplane that is with two non-famous people and you decide to like, I think that people just need to be more aware in this time, not less aware of everyone else's humanity and everyone else's fragility. Like, we've just all been through a fucking lot, all of us. And like, you know what I mean? And to make everything fodder for entertainment or gossip is like, really demeaning a human experience and is really demeaning what life is. Like if you think like talking shit about my kid to your friend group, who's having a panic attack on an airplane, if that like gives you something you need to reevaluate what's going on in your life. You know what I'm saying?
3: I do. (laughs) I've been, I've been having this thought lately and it keeps recurring. And like creatively, when I'm writing and things like that, I keep thinking this thought and I don't know if it's super dismal (laughs) and hopeless or if it's really positive where I'm like, if I just assume everyone I encounter is having the worst day they've had in a long time
2: and I give them that
3: benefit of the doubt, I will be a better person for it. And if I get that something, like if somebody's in front of me at the, at the cash machine, and they're taking forever, and I'm sitting here going, how can you not remember your code? You picked the code, you idiot. If I just go, <laughs> maybe they're trying to get ransom money. Maybe maybe, they're, maybe they, <laughs> their mom got kidnapped. Maybe I'll just give them that level of benefit of the doubt. If I give everybody that extreme level of benefit of the doubt, maybe I can just be a more relaxed person and the world can be slightly happier for it. I sort of feel like everything's so fast-paced now and everything's so driven by that ability where you, you realize if somebody – Listened to your child and sensed, oh, this is driven by actual fear, and this is a young person who's not who's in a situation that's starting to create panic. Maybe that's a little bit less of a text chain tidbit and a little bit more of a thing where you go, ah, that sucks. You know, that sucks.
0: Yeah. Or yeah. like, how about you turn around and you're like, hey, I have I have some gum in my bag. Do you want any gum? Or like, you know what I mean? Like, that's Always. all I'm saying. Like, can the I help? Lady- can I help you? Like, hey guys. Like, I, the lady next to me was flying alone with a very, very tiny new baby, three months old. Oh God, that baby was so delicious. It is. I don't love it when a baby tempts me. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't love it when a baby looks at me and sees into my soul and is like, "Come on, seductress, baby, come on, your eggs are almost gone. <laughs> do it, <laughs> do it one more time." But anyway, but the lady was like. After when we were finally, uh, they fixed the noise. I don't even know what happened. The plane was fine. Um, Obviously, I'm here. Uh, We're in the air, and they were doing, like, the service, and the lady clearly needed something, and the baby was, like, kind of freaking out a little bit, like, starting to get fussy, hungry. And so she was like, I could see her, that thing that you do as a parent where you're like, I'm making a decision, Do I put the baby on the seat and do the thing I need to do or what am I? And she was just sort of like paralyzed, like holding a crying baby, looking back and forth. And then she looked to the flight attendant who was at this point kind of behind us. And I just saw this whole thing happen in like a second and a half. And I was like, do you need something? Let me get you some. What do you need? And she's like, just my bag is up above. They made me my bag and it has the four. And I was like, I got it. Don't worry about it. Like, you know, grabbed the bag. So she didn't have to, but just if you're paying attention to the world around you and the things that are happening, I don't know. It's just so
1: much easier to be fucking decent than to like, yeah. Can I just make something easier for someone? And by the way, like it kind of feels nice. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, you I don't feel good about yourself. Like I'm not, I don't know. I'm not trying to be like all poly sunshine. Like sometimes people are dicks and it feels good to like give someone the finger or to like, mumble bitch under your breath at someone Lord knows I've done it but like you know if you look at if you're looking at a situation if you're passing a situation ask like can I help the situation and if you can't help maybe just stay out of it and like if you you know if you can help Help and like, and also, FYI, I've been yelled at for trying to help before,
3: but that feels a <laughs> lot- sure.
0: sure. <laughs> that feels the lot- same, same.
1: <laughs> that
3: feels a lot the- better. Than- <laughs> uh, Get it. I will never forget. This was so. This is probably 15 years ago. I was on the one train, and a and a woman got on, and she was crying, and she sat down in a seat and was like sobbing, sobbing. And this train car was full and everyone was ignoring it. And I just remember having that for as many years as I lived in New York, I never totally felt like I was like the moments where humanity totally goes away. I still see them. They bother me. And I went and um, sat down next to her and just quietly said, you know, whatever's going on. I hope it's going to be okay. Let me know if I can help. And I wasn't, I had no bad intentions except like, oh, this person seems like they're really losing it. And I got about four words in, and she just goes, "Do not, you do not, <laughs> don't say a thing to me, right? You Don't say a wh-. And I was like, oh, oh, "This is okay. I guess I am. I guess I will just turn into a real New Yorker and just ignore the tear and tears and pain of others." Okay, okay.
0: Wait, but I Chris, tried. I have I, tried. Like a ve- I do have a very important question. Yeah, was it me? Could have been. Could have been. Because I actually am very concerned that it may have been.
3: <laughs> I don't know if you what were was hanging the around tray? New York What was al- the tray? It was the red line. The it was the one. It was the one. It was an uh, Uptown. The Uptown one from 23rd Street. I never forgot it. Wait. Like, do I, not. You do not. Don't say a word right now. I was like, all right. All right. And, and then did she have blonde hair? She did. Is oh, there, was, it, wow.
0: was, it, was it winter?
3: I don't remember. Is this legit? Do you remember crying your eyes out and yelling at a man on the one train?
0: (laughs) I don't remember (laughs) yelling at a man, but it doesn't sound unlike me to yell at a man ever. Yeah. Like, especially a white dude. No offense. But like, you know what I mean? Like the, the, but I was 15 years ago was in New York doing the Broadway workshops for Cry Baby, the musical. And it was, like, I was at just a real shitty fucking low point in my life. It might have been, like, 16 years ago now, maybe. Yeah. And I had been, like, this, my boyfriend had, like, broken my heart. I would come to New York hoping to make things better. I, like, tried to hook up with one of the guys in the cast, and that was a disaster and gross. and. (laughs) And then I, and I was staying in, I didn't have like, even though I'd been on Dawson's Creek for two years, like didn't have a ton of expendable income, money saved. And I was staying in the like basement apartment of my best friend from childhood's dad's friend. I don't know. I don't know. It was a, they were a family they were nice. They were very kind and kind to let me stay there. Um, but like I didn't know them at all, and so I was taking the train after just a fucking day and a and a night that had been disastrous. And maybe it was evening. I can't even remember, but I just remember getting on the train and going up uptown and like fought, like losing it in such an intense way, like 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 you are described, like sobbing. So hard, hard and just all, like what this, this sounds what like chances? it is
3: possible
2: what
0: that would uh, what be a so me
3: cute that <laughs> <laughs> I I really like speech,
0: but i also probably would have just been like don't even fucking talk to me dude i don't it- even want like nothing yeah. i want you that both was exactly to un- the t-
1: that was exactly the vibe i want you to both to undergo hypnosis with like a um like a oh my god like a police sketch artist and uh-huh. see if your sketches look like each uh-huh. other to Did determine. you get off the train
0: soon after that?
3: Uh, I did. It was not <laughs> yeah. long after.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. There, I just like feel like this is a real possibility. I mean, who knows? But it feels like a very real possibility to me.
3: <laughs> it, but it really like, is.
0: It was like February-ish. It was cold. It was definitely cold. And... And I was there for two weeks. It snowed during that time. And yeah, and I was on the show. I was like, yeah, I got. I, like, lost my shit. Yeah, and I fucking, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I could see it. I can see it all. I can't specifically remember yelling at you
3: uh-huh.
0: or if it was you or if I yelled at somebody. But I do remember being just like fucking insane. And at that time, I was like, I would have screamed at anyone, <laughs> but especially a dude.
3: I would say there is a decent percentage chance that
1: there's a chance
3: a decade and a half ago you screamed at me on the one train.
1: But listen, you know what? Even if even if it wasn't even like I feel like this is like some kind of proxy closure for both of your mm. situations. You mm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because mm-hmm. what is like really what is really yelling at Chris Gethard and what is really getting yelled at by Busy mm. Phillips? You know what I mean? Ooh, like, if basically questions. it basically really happened. You know what I mean? Basically. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Basically.
0: Also, I could see that in that moment like I probably was like, "Oh, now this guy wants to fucking hit on me." <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Well, wow. it was not
3: that. I could say truthfully in my heart I was like, "This person is having a a bad bad time and it was I just want to want to make sure something. I just want to make sure they know somebody sees it. God, I want to make sure they guys. don't feel totally invisible. How could said, we go
0: back in time? How could we find out? This calls, well, anyway. a,
1: a, this calls for a black box theater show. Ooh. Ooh. I've
0: been looking Okay, for guys, now listen. <laughs> Me too. Listen, I'm in New York now, Chris. So if uh-huh. you want to workshop some stuff, I'm here. Please. I don't think Girls 5 Evas going back until, I don't think we're going back to shooting until like late September, October. So I'm, you know. I'm a veil. Tech a veil, as they say. Okay, so Casey, yes. what are you doing your best at this week?
1: Oh, my gosh. Um, all right. I'm just going to try—my um, kids listen to the podcast, so I'm sorry, guys. Block your ears. Um, I'm just going to try to—this is not a pornographic podcast, so I'm just going to try to say this as fast as possible. Um So you've been to my house, you know, it's like an open plan house. And you know that we bought it with the intention of being like empty nesters, like everybody's moved out, everybody's going to college. And you also know that like, we've been in a pandemic and so people didn't go to college. So you know that like, we've all been living under the same roof for like a long time. And like, it's been over a year now. And you know that in the space of that year, at some point, married people have to have had sex at some point in that. Not a lot of times, but sometimes. And so you also know the back wall (laughs) of my house is like all windows, right? So like if you, I guess like, (laughs) if you want to walk the dogs out, you like will walk the, like at night if you walk, you walk the dogs out because like the coyotes will get the dogs. And so like my son will walk the dogs out. And so like if you try to have sex at night, there's a chance like he could walk the dogs out and like see in the bedroom window. So then, but then you have to put down these really heavy blinds that make a big noise. And so you might as well just yell like, we're going to have sex like because of like the blind noise. So like, you don't want to do that. So then you have like choices. (laughs) You can like put the blinds down, which is basically like an announcement of sex, or you can just try to like really quickly and quietly have sex before like a kid goes out to like walk the dogs or whatever. So, the other night, we just, like, opted to for, like, the quick and quiet thing. And, like, my husband does, like, a very physical job. He works really hard all day. He <laughs> had thought you were like, talking about sex. <laughs> I did, th-
3: too. 1,000%. I mean, wow, well,
1: well. I was like, wow. Okay, Matt. <laughs> he does a really physically physical job. He works hard all day. <laughs> we had gone for a walk. We walked, like, an additional, like, three miles for, like, exercise. For me, he took me for a walk, talking about taking taking uh, dogs and and wives for walks and so we opted for like yeah for like a quick quiet sex and so we were doing that Um, and then like it just suddenly stopped like just stopped like in the middle of it and then so when that happens like I panicked because it wasn't me that just stopped Um, and so you know when you're our age and it just stops you're like oh shit what's happening and it was uh, that my husband got like a charley horse in his leg Mm -hmm. and (laughs) And it was like a golf, like he had like a golf ball in the back of his leg, but then he was just like just trying to work out this Charlie horse in his leg. But then after all like the quickness and the quietness that we were trying to accomplish, he was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, like yelling, oh my God. And then I was like, no, lay down. And then I was like rubbing the Charlie horse. And then he was like, yes, 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 that's it. Yes, right there, right there. And then I realized like we are making like the craziest like sex-like noises over this Charlie horse. (laughs) like. my god like it was way it sounded like way more sex than we were having or that we were and I was just like I mean so we uh, didn't complete sex and we also (laughs) (laughs) um, wait so how is this something you did your best at I mean, we did our best to do it like one time and we did it like half a time. And then uh, we tried to be like clandestine about it. And then that wasn't successful. I mean, we just did our best, but it just sometimes it doesn't work out. You know, we'll try again like in the next quarter, I guess. Next, (laughs) next lockdown. Yeah. Wait till the next lockdown. I mean, yeah, I guess (laughs) like what, you know, just I don't know when I don't know when it'll happen again.
0: Oh, okay. Well, aren't you guys going away on vacation? I mean, yeah, to, but like, we're, like, it's
1: not vacation, it's going like a- on like a road trip. Like what you know. We're gonna I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but uh yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: well, Lincoln, if you're listening, it was not sex noises you heard, the sex had stopped abruptly. It was like, like a two minutes dude, and then it was um, all Charlie Horse. <laughs> oh, God, what a bummer. What an actual, actual true bummer. Um, but you did your
1: best, and that's what's yeah, we, important. We tried. You know, okay. we tried. The magic is still there. It's just. <laughs> the, tr- the magic's the, always there for you guys. The trick was not completed. <laughs> oh, God.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, Chris, what are you doing your best at this week?
3: I just also want to say, let's remember to hydrate next time. Let's really remember to hydrate, hydrate next time. Hydrate. Yeah. Eat and
0: some electrolytes. bananas. Electro- uh-huh. Electrolytes, guys.
3: <laughs> Get some electrolytes in there. I'm doing my best at being suburban. I'm doing a really good job of it. We've lived in this house about a year now. Just this week, we had our house exterior painted. Nice. This house, when we bought it, I'm I'm not like, uh, I, I, took, I took every dime I've ever made in entertainment. I bought this house. The house has a sprinkler system, which I thought yes. what I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And it was broken. We I had guys come in and fix it. This nice. Week I I put down both lawn food and insect and grub control. Yes. Um, we had a patch in the back where there was a bunch of bamboo and we removed it and it's growing back and I've been digging yeah, of out the rhizomes. No. I've been digging Wait, out the but- rhizomes. It, it's Chris, it's horrific. Chris, it's like a horror. No, movie.
0: Chris. Yeah. It's an I'm going to tell you something right now and I'm going to save yeah. you years of your life. Sure. You need to accept the bamboo and move the fuck on. That <laughs> well, bamboo we, is, it's just, it's just going to drive you fucking insane. You can't get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> I had it in our old house. We like took the backyard down to like the, um, what is it called? Like the bedrock. Yeah. Like we went down, like we cleaned. It came back. The bamboo came back. Y- yeah. It comes, it is like. It's not ideal. No, just get a fucking panda and move on.
3: (laughs) We, um, we, our neighbor apparently the old neighbor of our, the old owner of our house, the, the person who used to own the house behind us. Both of those houses sold last year. Apparently, the woman who used to live behind us used to sunbathe nude, and it would drive the owner of our house crazy. So she put up this bamboo out of spite. The
0: bamboo. It was spite
3: bamboo, and there was an. She dug a big (laughs) trench around it. And we knocked everything out, and I think all we've really done was removed the protective trench that was containing it, mm-hmm. and now it's going where it wants. So I dig out the rhizomes. It's scary and daunting in an uphill climb, but that being said, I feel like I've been I've been doing a pretty good job of just being a suburban dad. I think
1: There's I've been I mean, doing nothing more powerful than yeah.
3: spite bamboo. Oh, it's
1: but it's also,
2: crazy.
0: I also want to say I really – understand and respect your journey as a homeowner and a relatively relatively new father, relatively new homeowner, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a lot goes into being a homeowner that I think people don't Understand if they've lived in a city or have had landlords their whole lives. Like things like gutters and like having trees cleaned. It's endless. Like I didn't know it's endless and it goes on and on. Having your sprinklers system service, like doing all of these things. And it is, yeah, like you got to figure it out because it's all the maintenance of your home, painting your home, making sure that the like windows are sealed. I don't even know, dude. It's a lot. So it feels like. You're in it and you're really doing it and you're really doing your best, but you're never going to beat that bamboo.
3: This neighborhood we moved into, it's a reach for me. Like I took all the money I've ever made and I bought the house and I think I can sustain living here. But there is a lot of people here who everything is paid for. They have disposable income. And I was mowing the lawn one day and I hit um, like the water pipe where it comes up. I hit it by accident and it made this loud noise. And this neighborhood kid happened to be walking by and he's like, what was that? And I was like, oh, I had a thing. And it was like tail end of I was like a tired, sweaty mess. He's like, why are you even doing that? And I was like, <laughs> well, because
2: I got to
3: yeah. get it done. He's like, well, why don't you, my parents hire people to do that? I was like, yeah, I, I can't like... What am I going to say to this 11-year-old child? Yeah, I can't afford that. Like, do I? how do I explain class divide to a rich 11-year-old? How do I do it? You should, though. You
0: should try. You should. You should try. I'm telling you, it is, like, one thing that I do to my kid all the time is, like, whenever I get, like, a whiff of that stuff, which happens a fair amount. These kids are growing up, like, very privileged little Mm -hmm. people. Um, I really have to, like, talk to them, both of them, about, like, what? Let's talk about money and That's make him bring you some snacks privilege. from his house. Um, okay, wait, listen, guys, we gotta get to this interview. Yes. With Gail Simmons. Do you watch Top Chef,
3: Chris? I have not watched in a few years, but I'll tell you what. Earlier today, I did another podcast hosted by Richard Blaze, and it was lovely. Lovely <gasps> love Blaise. Richard Blaze. Yeah. Food court. I did food court. Me and my wife did food court with Richard Blaze. That's
0: Blaise. cool. Yeah. Well we love Blaze. Gail loves Blaze. We talk about Blaze in the interview. We don't do. not we, guys? Yes. Yeah. Um, and Gail and I are good buddies now, good friends, and I love her very much. And uh, she has a new show, um, Top Chef Amateurs, starts tomorrow night, right? Is that yeah. right? Yeah. I'm not great at the details, Chris. This is one thing I sort of lack. I have no information in front of me. I'm just winging it. But I love Gail. I've been a fan of hers for years, and now we're good friends, and it's very exciting, and she has a lot of things to say, so listen. Function of beauty, function of beauty, what is your function? It's your function of beauty. I like that one. I that think is it's getting, one. that one's coming, that's coming into focus. I think that one's coming it's, into focus. Yeah, you're refining it. Hi am guys. You know we love our function of beauty here at Busy Phillips is doing her best. My whole family uses it. Yeah, it's good stuff. And listen, what what is your current flavor of your function of beauty uh, hair products? Mango. For your customized summer. mango customized yeah. shampoo and conditioner. Yeah, the mango smells so good. So mango, good. rose, pear, eucalyptus. I actually really enjoy the mango myself. Yeah. one of my children loves the eucalyptus, and I get it. Yeah, and I like you know that what, too. And you know what? Yeah, it's cricket. Oh. Cricket says, "I like to smell like a koala." <laughs> <laughs> of course. So obviously, yeah. Listen, we know what your perfect hair should look like. It's you know voluminous, full, shiny. But how does it smell? Well, Function of Beauty's custom hair. Makes sure you don't neglect the most powerful of your body's senses. Scent is perhaps the body's most underappreciated of the senses. Did I just sound like um the mom from Schitt's Creek? Yeah, for, Rose in a in a good way. Yes, okay, great, thank you. Um, you know we love them. Function of Beauty is the world leader in fully customized hair care. What do you do? What do you do? You take a quiz. That's right, a short but thorough quiz, and then. They create a unique formula that gives your hair everything it needs to look and feel its best. Every product is sulfate and paraben free, which is a big deal in my house. Because if you've heard this ad before, you know that one of my kids is allergic to sulfates. It's vegan, cruelty free. And there are over 60,000 real five-star customer reviews. Uh, Casey and I are using the trop- Tropical Mango
1: for I, summer. I also have peach, which is delicious. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah.
0: No, you should have told me. I would have gotten peach too. Okay. Well, you can still. I guess. Yeah.
1: And Maybe I also have la- I also have lavender because you know who loved lavender? Prince. Prince. Yes. Anyway. anyway. lavender
0: lavender is uh, I have lavender as well. Um, yeah. Sweet peach, crisp pear, lavender, rose, eucalyptus. If fragrance is not your vibe, that's okay. You can also do unscented. So turn your beauty routine into an aromatherapy sesh or a tropical getaway with the mango. I'm telling you. Yeah. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash best to take your quiz and save 20% on your first order that applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. That's functionofbeauty.com slash best to let them know that you heard about it here and to get 20% off your order, functionofbeauty.com slash best. You know, sometimes it's really hard to sleep when I'm thinking of clickbait for this show. <laughs> Guys, don't worry. Get to the third act of the show and you'll understand. Anyway, uh, but you know what um, helps me sleep really well? Your Helix mattress. My Helix mattress. Casey, you're right. I love it.
1: <laughs> it's I also a great love my Helix
0: pillow. I'm not even yes, kidding. I love my pil- Helix pillow.
1: The pillow is so good. Why did I say pillow? A, did you
0: just call it a pillow? <laughs> Wait, did. that's hilarious. I a love pillow. it. You guys, we're changing the name to pillow. <laughs> I love the Helix pillow. I love the Helix pillow. Um, I don't love having a bad night's sleep. I don't love waking up with numb hands, which I was for a while. And I was like, yes. oh, there's something wrong with me. Like, this is it. It's all. And then I got a new mattress and was like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. My mattress sucked. I think people forget to get new mattresses. Yeah, I think it's a thing you forget. Yeah. That you have to buy a new one. And that after... it's like a huge part of your life. Yeah. And you spend so many hours on your mattress. It had better support you in the ways you need support. Helix Sleep has a quiz. You know I love a quiz. It takes two minutes. It's faster than a BuzzFeed quiz. And, <laughs> and then, more important, it, frankly. And more and quite frankly, you don't need to know what Spice Girl you are. You need to know what kind of Helix mattress best suits you and your body and the way that you sleep because everybody is unique. Helix knows that. There are lots of different kinds of mattress models to choose from. They have soft and medium and firm and mattresses that cool you down if you sleep hot. And even a Helix Plus mattress for plus size folks. Listen, we all took the quiz. We love it. It's easy and it's the delivery is very Fast and easy. Very fast. So, guys, if you're looking for a mattress, or if right now as you're listening to this, you're like, oh my God, when was the last time I got a new mattress? Huh. Then it's definitely time for you to get a new mattress. Take the quiz, order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. Helix is awesome, but Don't take my word for it. Helix was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com slash best. Take their two-minute sleep quiz, and they're going to match you to a customized mattress that is going to give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for, are you ready for this? 100 nights risk-free. And they will even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will love it. So you will never see those people again. (laughs) Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. We love the pillows. For our listeners at helixsleep.com slash best. Guys, this is the most exciting thing. I mean, well, we talked to a lot of friends. We talked to a lot of friends on this show. Wouldn't you say, Casey? Yeah, mostly. Gail Simmons is someone that I was a fan of first from Top Chef. And then met through my good friend, Sam Hanks, Colin Hanks' wife. The nicest. The nicest. And also Mm -hmm. adore. And worked with Gail first and then they started a production company together. But so I ended up meeting Gail through Sam, but Gail lived in New York. So it was like, you know, we wouldn't, we would see each other when she was out one time, you know, like we'd like run into each other at soul cycle or like, mm-hmm. or at Sam's house, we'd make a point to have like an one afternoon. I probably see Gail, how many times a year would we see each other until this once, until or, twice. once yeah. or twice a year? And, but I love every time we saw Gail and her husband and their kid, loved, loved. Then, pandemic vibes, 2020.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And
4: I did you text me? I think you texted me. I did because I had had several conversations with you. And specifically, I remember one long conversation with Mark over the years about Charleston.
0: Right. Because he knew Before that. Before you guys Charleston. went there for Top yes. Chef. Right. Yeah.
4: Well, mm-hmm. I think when we went there for Top Chef and came back and Mark and I had this one talk about how he loved it and how much I loved it. And I started going back a lot after Top Chef. Mm-hmm. And then I remember him telling me about driving across the country with Cricket. Birdie. With cricket?
0: Birdie. With birdie. birdie. They drove
4: across country to spend the summer there. And so I had always had that in my mind. And then during... You know, towards the end of spring last year, when we realized that like summer was canceled and we needed a plan for us and our children, we found a house. Oh no, before we even found a house, we decided this is the time. Why don't we try going down to South Carolina for summer and had this memory that you guys often had done that. So I texted you about it and was like, what do you think? Is that a crazy thing to do?
0: And I said, not only do I not think it's a crazy thing to do, I think we're going to do it too. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to make it the thing that we do. Guys, let's try to put ourselves back June 2020. <laughs> <laughs> it was tough to make these decisions. It was, it was. We didn't know what was happening. We yeah. still don't, to be fair. And that's a lesson that we've all learned, that we Correct. never will know
2: what never. the fuck is
0: happening. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but you were like, I think we're going to do this, but I don't know. And I said, I think we're going to do it, but I also don't know. You found the house. Not far from the house we had mm-hmm. already rented, had already committed to renting, so we were like sort of in it, no matter what, even if we decided not to try to trek across the country. But then once I knew you guys were going to be there, I was like, okay, I think we can do this. And we ended up spending like we potted mm-hmm. pods. Remember pods, guys? Oh, I remember too. pods.
1: <laughs> We better remember so them. Really. They, yeah, they, they might be coming,
4: coming back. back. around. Yeah. <laughs>
1: those yeah. Pods are, Don't forget them. Don't forget
0: them. Those pods them. are quickly Pull, coming back.
4: Hold them close. Oof.
0: Anyway, uh, so yeah, you we potted together for the summer, which is as anyone knows, you get it's a way to really get close quickly. Mm-hmm.
4: Because it was Learned one other a lot about family. The families. Yeah. Yeah. That it was we three, had basically three families. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And I did like a little summer camp with our kids.
4: That was really like the highlight memory. Like I think back to that summer and the camp that you ran for our children. Really stands out as like (laughs) such a beautiful thing. It really does. I know I'm not going to cry about Uh... it, but there, you know, when I think back to that moment in our lives and all the uncertainty, and there was so much of it. And I remember you were like, "I'm going to do this. Just drop your daughter off every morning at 10 a.m." And I, I was like, "Are you? You really could do? Are you sure?" Are, who knew? I didn't know. A lot of people probably knew. I didn't know that Busy Phillips was a secret, crafting master slash camp director. Like she's yeah. like Julie from the Love Boat. Like she just took it on and just brought my child into her fold. It was really and my and 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 it, it kind of like. It really made our summer in a lot of ways. Really well, you did. also
0: had Gail. I just saw immediately, like I, you know, my kids are older, but Cole was
4: little. You had like he's a like, baby. Oh. Yeah, we had. We did. Still do, but he's definitely grown.
0: I mean, yeah. And so, like, and just our seeing, babysitter had ghosted us. Oh, remember there that? Was like, and that happened. Right, and that we happened. Were just, we
2: they were had juggling.
0: Had, yeah, you had say. hired like a uh, like a babysitter that was gonna. That was going to get tested and then sort of like quarantine mm-hmm. and stay with you guys, like, and then <laughs> she just didn't show up.
4: Didn't show up.
1: What happened? Did you ever find out? I think she decided to party.
4: Yeah, she. She. Uh, my husband, who is an expert at at creeping on sleuthing. Instagram, sleuthing, yes. essentially <laughs> sleuthing. He is a private investigator, at, um, in his secret life totally found out and this is a note to all you millennials you really leave uh you leave a path you leave a track um there's a so trail cover your tracks if you want there's a trail um it's not Hansel and Gretel style it doesn't get eaten with the red crumbs <laughs> it is there forever yeah um you know yeah she disappeared but we had we had known her cuz she had been in New York and then had moved down to Charleston and then So we had paid her once on Venmo. So my husband like went back and looked at her Venmo. And then you can often see what people are also paying for on Venmo. Yeah. And he saw that the night before she was supposed to show up and start babysitting for us, she was in New York having drinks with another girl, another babysitter that we knew from our neighborhood.
1: Having drinks, talking about how she wasn't going to show up. Yeah, like the
4: line of the payment on Venmo to her friend was like, rosé all day or something like that. (laughs) So we were like, okay, I guess she went to New York to drink with her friends. And that was the last we heard of it. And then we, you know, we've put it behind us. There was some rage, but we put it behind us. It
0: was because also I think everybody in that moment was excited for a break. Yeah. And I think, think that, you know what I mean? And I think that like, being full time full on for those months. Everybody was like, I can do this, I can do this as long as I, there's like an end in sight. And well and as long like, as
4: nothing as long as nothing rocks that very fragile boat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And and
0: it was and it was nerve wracking because you're you're inviting somebody new into into your mm-hmm. core core vibes. And- you dodged a Becky. I think I think yeah. you dodged it. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, that, no question for sure. And and so yeah, and so I just was like, well, obviously, you need to just like drop this kid off. I can handle it. Um, you did. It's a, and I did. Of amazing. I did. It was fun. It was a lot of me negotiating with the kids to do the activities and not to watch TV or be on screens. It of was course. a lot of like. It was a lot like guys. Let's just make these volcanoes. And then you can watch a show while we eat lunch. Like I just, it was it was just like a constant battle of will. And especially like I think because obviously I'm Cricket's mom, the other kids were a little bit more likely to not fight back with me about the screen time. But Cricket would just be like rolling her eyes at me at every awesome. chance. I mean, truly. Well, it's but anyway.
4: It's so interesting just to note at the risk of sounding like a cheese ball that when I think back to that month of our lives and all of the chaos that was circling in the world, I don't think of the bad stuff. I think of the art camp and I think of like watching the sunset and having really yeah. beautiful dinners on your on your deck. And I think about all those really – like those are the moments that now I actually feel – will never happen again that were really beautiful because now life has come back and life has intruded on that sort of, we were in this little insulated world that actually was quite beautiful.
0: I know. And it's true. Like, I feel super bonded to you and your family now, like, for life. (laughs) I'm like, we went through this thing together and it really was beautiful. And also, Gail, of course, because she's Gail Simmons, trained culinary expert, food writer, dynamic (laughs) television personality. (laughs) You know her from Top Chef. Anyway, uh, Food and Wine Magazine. Uh, we well, got like, we got hooked up with some restaurants and like some pretty incredible culinary really well. experiences say. at our, in the safety of our own home, which was amazing.
4: Yeah, there were some, there were some good meals.
0: Chef Dennis? Yeah. Was amazing. Chef
4: amazing man. Yeah, um, and the guys who like showed up at our house with an old El Camino and a bath of oysters.
2: Yeah, they were.
0: That was a pivot for those guys. They were mm-hmm. opening their restaurant. They were set to open their new. I love the concept of this restaurant. It's on Kiowa, which is an island outside of Charleston, and their concept is um, oysters and hot dogs. Yeah, they're I like mean, it's just
4: perfect. Yeah, they're like let's got-
0: just yeah let's just give the people what they want oysters and hot dogs. And they were set to open in the spring of 2020. Obviously, couldn't. They did a pivot. They bought like two El Caminos.
4: Like flatbed, amazing yeah. 70s trucks. Made the trucks.
0: made the backs essentially coolers. Would like open it up and serve oysters out of their and they come to you. Like, and then you're outside, socially distanted and oysters and it was so fun. It was like, that was one of the most fun meals, I think. Yeah. It's
4: crazy. It was fun. It was, it was great.
1: Really crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Gail and I were chatting. For years as part of the Bravo family, I would see her very frequently mm-hmm. when she oh, was yeah, a, bet. a guest on Watch What Happens yep. Live, so she's such a familiar face to me. But what she doesn't know and I'm about to put him on blast is that entire time is um Gail Simmons is my husband Matt's celebrity crush. <gasps> oh my god. So what? Wait, is. I never knew that. And that's how likable Gail Simmons is. Is <sighs> like I don't even care. I'm like yeah, everyone has a crush on her. Who wouldn't? She's great. Oh, that, that is no bite. Um,
0: <laughs> that is amazing. That,
1: I'm like, in that or, is, I'm honored. I in mean, that other lot situations, I'd be like, that's a little too real. This is a lady I see all the time. Like it's, you know, that's weird. But I'm like, no, she's great. I have a crush on her too. And also that uh, I'm like, guys. very good
0: friends with now as well. How, what are the
4: chances of that? Tell him I'm here for it. Thank you. That's very kind. Um,
1: and funny. <laughs> um,
4: yeah. I love that. You know, watch that. what happens for us is always a funny thing. Still is. I'm, and I was, I was just saying that I'm doing it. I'm doing it on Monday for the finale of Top Chef. Um, and we did it a year ago for the finale of our last season. And it was actually the last live thing that I did before the shutdown. And, we did it, kind of feeling like we shouldn't be there. You know, there was that few yes, days where I we all were still doing things, and then being like, "Wait, maybe that wasn't a good idea." And it right. was. Actually and then risky. Andy had COVID. Five days later, he called me to tell me, and and we all had to quarantine because because it was before testing, before Ooh. anything. And he was really sick, and we really that was like one of the first major dodges of like this. This is it. Okay, we're it's real, and it's right here in yeah. our living room, literally in in Andy's living room. Um, and so it was like they, that last appearance on Watch What Happens was is like very vivid in my mind. Yeah, and I'll always associate with that moment in like world history.
1: Yeah, of course, oh gosh.
0: Because then course. also you like had the fear that you had been.
4: Yeah, we all thought we were for sure, and right. it's amazing that we didn't get sick. Truthfully, thank God, and thank God, Andy is okay. Um, but I'm excited to go back and do it again. Are you uh, are you going to wipe it clean? Are you going or, in
0: person yet? They or no? are in the
4: studio now. They are? the only reason, yeah, they just went back this week. I think we were gonna go in studio, but Padma's traveling right now and Tom's uh, I think out on the North Fork. So it just it didn't make sense for me to go and for us have to be so we're just doing it virtually, which is fine because they've been doing that so much anyway. Yeah. That makes life that easier. Makes
1: So many Um, surreal moments at Watch What Happens Live, by the way. So I'm glad you're, I mean. I bet. I mean, you saw it all. We were legitimately there the night that Osama bin Laden was killed. It was like. It was wow. like Alexis, the housewife, and uh Willie Geist were the guests. Oh my and god. And Willie Geist was like, um, this is weird, but like not like I like I'm the biggest deal journalist in the world, but I don't think I can like go on like a drinky yeah. drinky talk show, like mm. to I think yeah. I have to like go back to 30 Rock. And we were like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was just Andy and like Alexis, the housewife, talking about like being like, so what do I want to talk about? Well, they like they kind <laughs> of actually broke the news because it was like oh, the first to was, be like oh just FYI, a lot of you are tuning in right now. Just FYI, Osama bin Laden's dead. Like a lot of you are just turning on the television. And it was just like the most surreal moment of my life. Just being like, I can imagine what a mind blower.
4: Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty huge. But that's so you know insane, Andy. Yeah, <laughs> it is insane. I mean, that's a that's like a life changing. My um my thing about Andy is that you know Andy created Top Chef. Andy was my yeah. executive producer for the first eight years or maybe eight seasons anyway of our show.
2: Yeah, he was we like have on to set have Andy every have day.
4: To,
0: Casey, we should, we should need to book Andy on the show. You said yeah, well, he would do it.
1: I mean, you know, you guys are like neighbors now. You guys are... You and Gail gang yeah, up on him. Yeah. He'll listen to you guys more than me. Yeah.
0: Really? I mean, All right, maybe. will do it. He'll feel I more... just think... I think
1: that pivot is so interesting.
0: Day. Like... Yes. To go from executive to host. And like, to give yourself that job.
1: I mean, mm-hmm. he really... He really <laughs> didn't. That's the truth. Is that like, he was the most... He was the most like... Uh, is this the right thing to do? And it was really other people that were like, yeah, go for it. Like other people telling him. Oh, really? And it sort of happened
4: very organically. Like, uh, you know, when we, whenever we hang out, we talk about how like he was traveling with us for Top Chef and like on set and giving, you know, episode notes. And that he, he was such a TV like fan, you know, deep rooted from like early, obviously if you've like read his books or know his story, you know, such a TV, a holic and loved being the person behind the camera. And then he, um, and then, you know, he, it started really slowly. I mean that like watch what happens live started as an after show online. Like we used to shoot it in Inglewood, New Jersey. Right. Yeah. yeah, Like at the, at yeah. Like at this, and it, it was like out in the MSNBC studios. I don't know. It was like super tiny.
1: Yeah. It was like for the project run. online show. Yeah. For, it yeah, was for like Project Runway Pro- and yeah.
4: the Real Housewives and Top Chef. It was like really a funny thing, that he did. So you just-
1: were, so like
0: that, it, it's interesting. You know, we talk about like pivots on the show. Mm-hmm. This is like one of the things that we're kind of very interested in, how people end up where they are. Um, and I want to ask you about Top Chef Amateurs, which is coming out. But before we get to that, like, were, did you, I know you started as a food editor, yeah. right? Yeah. Food and Wine Magazine. I have watched Top Chef since 2016. So I do know when you're introduced every single time, I do feel like yeah. I could.
4: I'm not anymore of Food and Wine Magazine, but I was for the well, first of course. 15, 15 seasons of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is very much was my home. Uh, and and as an appropriate segue, my sort of – and I've been thinking a lot about this in preparation for talking to you guys today that, like, you know, sure, there's lots of pivots. I could talk about what happened then last year and I can talk about, you know, other times in my life. But, but really probably the biggest pivot for me was not unlike Andy's. I spent the first many years of my career and my goals when I started working in the food industry – was that I wanted to be a food writer. Like and I because when I started, you know, in the nineties, because I'm old, uh girl. There, food food media meant, I'm talking, I mean, there it is. We're talking 20 plus years ago, um that that food media meant publishing, meant magazines, meant writing. There wasn't blogs and food television and like, you know, the food network was like a little thing and there was like a couple of White male chefs on it. And then there was, you know, the beginning of like daytime cooking demos by women chefs. But it was like in its really a different format than it Who is was now. Who was
0: like the first celebrity? Was it Rocco
4: Despirito? Mm, Despirito? Despirito. Yeah. I mean, yes. I would say the first though was really like if you want to go back into like, well, the. Well, like Julia Child. Of, yeah, sure. But not even sure. with her, obviously her and Jacques. But even in the modern incarnation, like Emerald. Yeah. Oh, you know, Emerald, Emerald uh-huh. Wolfgang, Puck. And, right, and, sure, sure, sure. And, and Mario Wolfgang, Batali.
0: Yeah, and Mario Batali. Right, for, right, right.
4: For better or worse. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Well, so long, Mario.
4: Shit. Um, but yeah. Uh, and Emerald, and they still are very, you know, they're all still very relevant in the history of how food and kind of pop culture intersected. And so, but when I started out and decided that food was my beat, like food, I, it was food that I was interested in. um... And started that kind of path. I was very single-minded in it. I wanted to be a food journalist. I wanted to write about food, whether that was about restaurants or about food culture, but it was about writing. There there was never aspirations for being on camera. There was never aspirations. Because that wasn't even like in my purview. You know what I mean? It wasn't even a job. It wasn't a job. It wasn't a job. And so even knowing that that was sort of happening, the emeralds of the world, and I was amazed by them and inspired and interested in them it wasn't at all what my plan was, what my path was forward. I started, I graduated college and like started, I was writing restaurant reviews for my college paper. And then I was, I got an internship at, I grew up in Canada and I got an internship at a magazine and then a newspaper in Canada and kind of just gravitated to the food sections. And when I finally said out loud, okay, this is it. This, I want to write about food. This is what, I, this is my beat. This is what I want to do. I can say it out by name My editors, when I was like a junior, you know, editorial assistant, were like, that's funny, Gail, because you don't know anything about food. Like, you can't just write about it when you don't know how to cook. Do you know how to cook? And I was like, I like to eat stuff. (laughs) I mean, they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. They weren't. They weren't wrong. It's true, but what a rude awakening. I mean, you know, you can't, it's like, I like to watch movies. I can't be a movie director. Just cause I like to watch you gotta study your craft, right? right there right. is a as we all know. Right. Um, and that but that you're right. Casey, that was like a real eye-opening moment where I was like, Oh shit, yeah. No, you're right, you're totally right. Just cause you like to eat and like I like to cook in my mom's kitchen, like with my girlfriends, doesn't and I like to go to restaurants because I think they're cool and interesting, like. And I had done a lot of travel and, you know, it definitely had a history in my family of like food and travel. My mom was actually a food writer and a cook. So it was, and she ran a cooking school. So this all happened naturally. I absorbed it, but it was not anything that I still kind of understood how to make into a job. So I quit working for that newspaper and I moved to New York and went to culinary school. But even so, like the next five years were just dedicated to learning how to cook, like going to culinary school, working in kitchens, being a line cook, being like getting my ass handed to me every day on the job and then taking that and going into writing and like with with the dream sort of job final point for me is if I could land a job ultimately at a food magazine. Which I did sort of circuitously, but it was only when I got to food and wine, I still never thought about being on television. That was, I was still doing this thing, this one thing. Um, and it was really when Top Chef came to the magazine for help as their, like, kind of partner in developing the show. And they kind of threw me into the fire that I was like, wait, wait a second. Like, I, this is not how I planned it. This is to the very left of what I had planned to ever do. And this could be, this could go very badly.
0: <laughs> but it's so. But it is so interesting because I
4: feel like Top Chef was
0: one of the first. Like it really, Top Chef was one of the shows that really like set the bar for what, uh, like sophisticated reality competition show could look like. That's not like right, don't you
4: think? Re- yes. Oh but my That didn't sort of rely on like tropes and um... right. And stereotypes, yes. and wasn't about like the reality, but more about the competition. but you had and nothing. Professionals,
0: but that must have been. I just have to say that must have been a giant leap of faith. Because giant. how do you know that they're not going to make you look like Ozzy Osbourne or whatever at this point oh. in t- in television history? Is all I'm saying. We did like, not know reality shows are a thing, kind of, and competition shows are kind of becoming a thing. And their game shows certainly were a thing. But how do you know, like, how do you trust it? And to make that that leap, was it just that, like, the executives from the company making the show were, like, you just, you had sort to trust Sort of, yes.
4: Them? You nailed it. If you could put your mind back there, this was 2005. Oh, my God, I can't. Right? I was drunk. So the reality yeah. <laughs> shows, reality competition shows for me, meant Fear Factor, mm-hmm. Big Brother, and Survivor. survivor. Like, those were the only shows. The only food competition show that existed to this point was Iron Chef Japan. That's Which right. was brilliant, brilliant, but not what we were doing. So, uh, tr- really, I I trusted my boss at Food & Wine, who is a huge, remains to this day, a huge mentor of mine. Neither of us are at Food & Wine anymore, But she was an incredible trailblazer in what she did as the publisher. And then also our editor-in-chief, the two of them together, very brilliant women who I admired. And they were like, this could be something or it could be a huge failure. Either way, we're going to tell you to go do it for us. But it's okay because you're just going to go and do it for a couple weeks. And then you'll come back and resume your regular job and we'll just, like, go about our business and that'll be that. That's That's kind of amazing. That's such a gift. What a gift. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I, you know, it's interesting. You say that I've never, yes, it was. Of course it changed the course of my life, but I never have thought about it in those terms. Well, because, uh, because they I, said you, they, you're right. I they had could have support. said,
1: if you want to do this, you can do it, but you're not coming back here. If it doesn't, I've been put in that position a million times. Yes. I'm sure busy has, yes. you know, like if you oh, want to I mean, try yeah. this, you can, but if it doesn't go great, you're not coming back here. Right. You know. Well, I was doing it for them. Yeah. Yeah. I
4: was doing it for them.
1: But you're right. It was
4: unprecedented. Also, the sort of weird thing about food media at the time was that there was food publishing. There were, like, snobby, sort of elitist, glossy food magazines. And Mm. then there was, like, food television that was sort of considered by those glossy food magazines. There was very church and state, right? And it was very, like— And so the fact that we were dipping our toes in reality television, like, I— I actually think that Bravo had gone to other magazines that will remain un- unnamed first and they had been turned down because right. it was too like lowbrow but when they came to Food and Wine my publisher and editor in chief like thankfully they had the foresight to be like you know what we need a younger audience we want a younger audience you know the the the, the breadth and 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 sheer numbers of TV viewers versus readers of a magazine, that average viewer is probably 46 years old. Like you can't capture it in magazines anymore. And they saw the future of magazines and they knew that they, that this could be a huge moment to, there was like no other opportunities for a magazine to get that kind of exposure. And they saw that as a business opportunity. And when Bravo, like they sent me for a screen test and when Bravo said, yes, you know what we want, Gail. I told some like crazy story about bursting into tears over eggs I ate once at a restaurant because they were so (laughs) bad. And they were like, yeah, that's a good, let's get her on the show because she'll cry a lot. And um, thank you, Andy. And, (laughs) and when, and, and my publisher was like, you know what, go do this. Like, let's give this a shot. What's the worst that can happen? I remember arriving in San Francisco for that first season, literally I had just been like thrown to the wolves. I felt by the magazine because none of us knew what we were getting into. There was no proven, like, we could have been a huge failure. Um, not. And I didn't care about failing, like, to the regular viewer that I didn't know and I would never have to face. It was, a for me and for Tom, we've talked about this a lot over the years, for Tom Colicchio, who had agreed to be, sort of begrudgingly, be our head judge. Um, we were like, what about our industry? Like, what if we are... Right. A, we a are here to sock. represent the food industry. We are food right. people. We are not TV people. Right. And I said that for like eight years until my producers finally were like, Gail, you gotta give it up. You're a television person, whether <laughs> you like it or not. Part of the pivot. But uh, but really, like, you know, we could have just been the laughing stock of our industry. And I remember the very first season, episode one, the first person we ever eliminated, our hearts were beating so quickly because we were so afraid what was happening. That they had to redo the elimination because it was interfering with the audio. <gasps> <laughs> with our with our microphones.
1: Oh my God. Oh yeah. my God. It was petrifying.
4: It was petrifying. Oh my God. So, That's you know, wow. Just, incredible. Yeah. Wow. But I did have a safety net. I did have food and wine and I did have their support. And that did make me feel at least a bit comfortable that I had a, yeah, I could go back. Just right? knowing that you If could, this all didn't work out, I yeah. had a place, I had a home to go back to. I hadn't like, you know, I hadn't risked everything because this was nothing I ever imagined I would do. Ever. It didn't exist. Didn't you exist. You couldn't,
0: ima- I mean, you some, yeah well, if you could have imagined it, you know, you would have been Steve Jobs, I guess. <laughs> Correct. Um, and I'm not. Right. Turns out. Wow. (laughs) That's
1: kind of incredible. It's also so funny to me that you're talking about how food and wine had the vision to be like, we need to uh, bring our magazine to a younger audience. Because also at that time, simultaneously, my older son was had to have been in like, first grade. And -hmm. you know how they ask, um, when you're in first grade, they ask families to like, Oh, can you send all your old magazines into school? We're going to use them to to like cut up for collages. My son was routinely stealing all the food and wine magazines and bringing them home. Like I found like a horde of food and wine magazines
4: (laughs) in my son. He's my, he's my dream child. My daughter would set them on fire, in case you're wondering.
0: I was going to ask, I was going to ask, do your kids, do, do, you, do your kids have, they eat well. I do know your kids. They eat well. They eat
4: well. But and they're, you, not, and you, they're not like, I'm not going to be that chefy person who's like, oh yeah, my children just eat fancy freaking stupid food. No. Well, have I ever told what,
0: you that I thought that, like, I took full credit for Birdie being an adventurous eater their entire life? Like, Birdie would eat anything, try anything. Like was super into all different kinds of food and whatever, and I was like, yeah, I mean, because I did that, I yeah. did that, and then I had cricket, and I did all of the exact same things. And you know, my child eats bread, cheese, pasta. Well, bread, cheese, yeah. some combination of bread thing. and cheese, bread and cheese. That's it. And then like we'll eat like a broccoli, avocado. Yeah occasionally, I, but like, it's just, it's a crapshoot. You don't, it's you a don't get, shoot. not, not all of your kids are going to be eating sushi guys. You that's know what I mean? That's perfect.
4: That's exactly right. And I can't tell you how many chefs I speak to every day who tell me that exact history for their children. They're like, I'm a chef and my child only eats white food. That's between the, t- like, you know, temperature of like 65 and 90 degrees and then otherwise nothing. Like, or whatever it is. it's It has nothing to do with you. It's beyond your control. You can do the best you can. And there's certain things, sure, with eating with kids. You can help. But at the end of the day, they're their own person
0: in all things, I've, right? I started following that, like, kids eat in color thing on mm. Instagram. Do you know that? No, but Google it now. It's, I really like it. She offers... Easy things and ideas, and like also, you know, you just keep trying. You just create, yes. keep trying to introduce things, and which I do. And Cricket at this point is just like, I mean, at this point, you know, not a toddler. Obviously, Cricket looks at me and is like, "Are you out of your mind?" No, like yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I just I'm gonna keep asking, and just someday you will. I'm and just gonna put it on your plate, and someday you might take a bite of the green bean. And she's like, "Mom, never."
2: I was like,
4: but oh, you man. know what? I have this conversation all the all the time with Jeremy, my husband, and I also have with so many friends and I talk about it, you know, all the time because it's so much a part of like the fabric of our family and what we do. And yes, for I, I, first of all, believe, yes, just keep putting it on the plates. Maybe don't talk about it or sometimes just put it in a bowl on the table, whether or not you put it on their plate. Like, don't ask. I try, I'm not good at this, but I try to just not even mention it's there, but always have it there. Always have it in the fridge. Always have it in the table. Always just be eating it over her, around her, him, them, all, everyone. And I believe that it'll become on the long term something that they identify with or are used to. And, and we'll try when when they're ready because often Dahlia will try foods when I'm not looking. You know what I mean? That's- like if I just stop talking about it, mm-hmm. she'll mindlessly reach across the table and grab that green bean and start eating it. And then she'll have another. And I'll just be like, don't look, don't look, don't look. Just don't notice what's <laughs> happening over there because it's happening. But I will say, too, my brother had one of those children. His oldest child, who is now 21 years old, was a child until he was probably 15 who ate three things, to the point where it was worrying their doctors and worrying us. And I would, like, talk to my therapist about it because it upset me so much and I wasn't a parent yet. And on the long term, he's now 21. He's off at school, at college in Boston. And... He comes to New York to visit us and is like, has a list of like ramen and sushi and all the places he wants to eat and loves exploring new place. And it all worked out. And he's an adult and he's a healthy, curious person about food. So it's like, yeah. you just got to let it happen.
0: I know. I know. My biggest, my biggest thing was just this year at their school because of the COVID protocols. Yeah. Like I, Cricket would come home from school and having not eaten lunch yes. because they, you couldn't send lunch with the kids because of covid protocols and Mm -hmm. they would offer them two things and cricket was like no that's like or she you know she would take one and then just clearly not eat it you know it Mm -hmm. was a little bit of a it was a struggle
1: it's a struggle yeah my younger son just only milk that's all he only milk till like about age 11, I think. And he's a super adventurous eater now. I think he would say that he, I think he, he would say that he tasted everything too much. That's what I think. Cricket is a super taster. Yeah. That's my theory. Uh, he, my younger sensitive. son, my younger son loved chocolate milk and he would be, we would make him chocolate milk and he would be like, uh, this is the chocolate milk with the bear on the front. And I prefer the chocolate with the cow wow. on the front and does we he need would, a job
4: <laughs> cuz yes, i have many in my <laughs>
0: wait room. i have so i have a question about that that cuz that's like about a palate thing and yeah. like did you always i mean your mother obviously taught cooking was a food teacher and, and food writer as well as you mentioned but did you always have like a palate that you could differentiate cuz one thing that people don't i think that as a as a viewer and a fan and then also, someone who's been lucky enough to be like a celebrity guest judge mm-hmm. on. Oh,
4: talk yes, Chefs. you have been. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> Um, One thing that is almost fucking impossible, and I love food and I love to eat it and I love to like talk about how much I love it. And then you get in it and they're like, okay, but what specifically are you, is coming through for you? What are you tasting? And you're like, I don't know, it just tastes good. <laughs> like, how do you. How did you develop the language? Mm. Is that, did it come, was it born out of the food writing? Obviously, that's what, I'm answering my own question. Sort of,
4: you know, sort of, yes, yes. No, 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 (laughs) this is a really good question. And my answer isn't, I think, what everyone else would say. I liken it to honing any other craft. You aren't born an NBA player. You aren't born a violin. Okay, some people are like born, you know, like, geniuses and with a gift, right? But the majority of people, you know, you need your 10,000 hours right, or whatever it is to become an expert. And I feel like, yes, I grew up in a household that loved food, that celebrated food. My mother was really ahead of her time in a lot of ways that she was a spontaneous cook when most mothers in the eighties were like leaning on their microwave so that they could get out of the kitchen and go to work and do other things. My mother really, focused on that as the thing. And so, yes, that of course rubbed off. And yes, I have a good palate, sense of taste. Uh, I have a curiosity. And I think I'm really good at identifying, but I think it's because I trained myself. I I put in the work. I think it's practice like anything else, to learn an instrument, to have a a voice. You can be born with a good voice, but that doesn't mean that you don't need vocal lessons and training for that voice, right? and the same goes for writing the language around food is so important it is really hard to describe taste because is because it is so personal so subjective and also so um intangible right people ask all the time like why our show why top chef has had the success it has when every other show you can like hear the song that the competitors are singing you can see the dress you can see the or f- hear the stuff, the product of, of the experts' um, work. And with food, you really rely us on us to be your taste buds. And I think that has forced me as a writer for the you know twenty plus years of my career, and also on television, articulating that. And our producers ask us all the time, like, describe what it tastes like. Don't say. And there are certain words I've also learned, like saying something tastes good is amazing is delicious, doesn't tell me anything about the dish. It's very hard to deep and dig deep. Like I, I say all the time, I've like hit the wall of adjectives. It's so hard <laughs> to find more adjectives for, to describe food, good or bad. So you just start simply like, okay, it's good. Is it good because it's spicy? Is it rich? It, does it coat your mouth? Is it sweet? Is it salty? Is Does it uh, is it a warm spice does is it refreshing you know the and so kind of it, it takes a lot of like practice of really sort of thinking about what's happening in the experience to find the language for it but literally that's also why I I went to culinary school. Like, I went to school for this. I'm not mm-hmm. saying everybody has to do that. There are so many paths to journalism. You don't necessarily have to go to acting school to be an actor. You well know everyone has their own paths. And Tom's path was certainly so different than mine. And we ended up in different places, but sitting beside each other. That, you know, you, I, I for me, went to school to train myself. Like, I needed to learn the language of the kitchen in order to be able to write about it, feeling like I had the authority to do so and... For me, that meant like I needed to, tra- I, I, I got training.
0: And then the, I mean, just the wild pivot of being put on camera, you had to yeah. learn a whole new skill set. A whole new skill.
4: That was, that was, that's the scariest because that came along with it came all the things I hadn't thought about because I had never even entertained the idea of sort of putting yourself out there so publicly before and the pros and cons that come with that, exposing yourself in a way, at going from being a very private person to a public person and what that meant. Um, because I obviously was on a food show that was now opening the door that my life was public, let alone because I also I play myself, right? Yeah. Right, of
1: course. I'm and not you've been an actor through- I am. Pregnancies
0: on the show. Yeah, and pregnancies on the show. Oh my gosh.
4: And a whole bunch of and disasters and world events. right? Like yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Just all yeah. all kinds of things. And this season of Top Chef I have found to be really just special in the way it, it's just it's kind of Thank remarkable you. after so many Thank years. You. There's something really special about the way that it's been like the the journey of the the pandemic season of we, Top Chef.
4: We worked really hard at it. Obviously, it had enormous challenges, actually busy. I was thinking this morning, right before we got on together to talk, uh, I have this memory of sitting in your backyard this past summer and I came over and we were sitting in that yard and I said, I had a call this morning with my producers and we're going to Portland and we're shooting this show. And you were like, there's no way. Right in a pandemic, was, like yeah. hello, you're like, how is that going to happen? It's, yeah. I can't. And we were, re- I felt the same. I was like, I don't know, I don't know how they expect me to do this. They literally expect me to relocate my family to Portland, Oregon for two and a half months, and 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 shoot, expose like without it masks on ins- and eating. It seemed, it seemed insane. insane. And I remember you're the first person I told that I was going to go do this, and <laughs> and like it just seemed totally unimaginable. Um, and then we did it, and we were faced at every step of the way with wildfires and protests and Proud Boy rallies and... It was fraught. It was fraught. It was fraught. Yeah. Thank you. It was fraught. It, I mean, Portland became just like the most vivid reflection of the year in America at the moment we were there. Um, but our, you know, credit to our crew and our our producers and Bravo for for trusting us to to do it really safely and and to navigate it. Actually, there was an article today in the LA Times I just read, I was so moved by uh, the television editor, basically wrote an article about how Top Chef sort of, the challenges that we were up against and how we were able to face them and integrate them instead of shying away from them. And I think that was kind of the point of, of the season. And I think it gave a lot of people um, sort of refuge and and it was very, um, I don't know the word relatable, but. But yes, like everyone understood what was happening because we were all living through it together.
1: No, yeah, it was really kind of meaningful. There is one thing that's uh, a kind of serious question about the um, the season that I want to ask you and have you go on record about. What was your favorite hat of Tom's this season?
4: It's, it's um, it's a journey. <laughs> his wardrobe, his his wardrobe, and we share a, a stylist on the show, and she would have opinions. <laughs> uh, Oh God, so many great hats, you know, <laughs> I, I think we need, I think I need to do a post of like a carousel of all his, um, his, you his have to rank, ranked in order. Oh my God, um, you should,
0: please do that. Please. <laughs> I just feel like
1: people really need to, people need to know it's been a huge topic of conversation. And I just, I feel like that we need to know the winner of the season, but also, yeah. There's another winner winner of of Tom's hats. And that's that's a piece of closure that I think people are going to need to have from you (laughs) to (laughs) go forward.
4: Personally, I like his brimmed hats. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. There was one, uh, and now I'm forgetting which episode it was. He went out and bought it himself and came back. And was like, I'm wearing this hat. And I really did love did it. Did anyone
0: start an Instagram or a Twitter account, Tom Calicchio's hats, yet?
4: I don't Cause... know, but if not, we're doing it right here. <laughs> See, I, I know he got a lot of backlash for his little beanie that he wore um, for one challenge. And it's funny how I'm sure you've had this experience, busy, where like the outfit looked really good and normal when you're looking at the I mirror. And go then when you there. see it on camera, and it's happened to me a million times, I'm not dissing Tom about it because I would have told him that beanie's not fitting right. Had I thought, like, we it all looked fine. <laughs> and I've had I've had
1: so many, yeah,
4: yeah. There's the beanie right there.
1: Busy, busy holding up a picture of the. And beanie. And it was sort of
4: a cold day, and he has a little bald head um, that bald he needed to protect. Head. And uh, but I've had so many outfits where I've been like, what? Literally, the next day was like, wait, why did what did I do? What was I? Thinking. Well, we we even
0: tried to outfit you before you went to
4: Portland. Uh, Tonight's episode is is a busy special. Is it? (laughs) Tonight it is. It is. I I bought the dress that I wear on tonight's episode in your living room.
0: Well, we had remember when we were in Charleston, my friend Stacy, who owns the clothing store, came over with a truck full of clothing because we didn't want to go to a store. And she brought in all of these clothes for us to to try on. And it was like mm-hmm. so fun because we were like, maybe you should wear that on Top Chef. Maybe you should wear that on Top Chef. <laughs> and Ooh, I I'm did. so
1: excited. And I did. Tonight's the night. I feel like you and Padma have been killing it with the outfits this season on Top Chef. Did you
0: feel oh, any you. kind of pressure to like turn it up a bit because of the year that we've had?
4: In a way, it's funny. Uh, I think we had, I, ha- I felt like, not that I felt pressure, but I was like, this is all we've got. Yeah. You know what I mean? For for my joy on this season. I'm going to just like be a little bolder because I have been hiding in my house and I haven't put on heels or put makeup on my face in over a year. Or at the time, I guess it was like nine months or whatever it was. And I literally couldn't believe I was going to put on heels and Spanx. <laughs> and I'm like, if I'm gonna do it, we're gonna really do it the best we can. We're gonna milk that top chef budget for all it's got. <laughs> so we tried our best. I you mean know,
0: you I get it though like i I am normally a person who in previous journeys in my life, like hair and makeup. I'm like, guys, how fast can we do this? I need to get through it. I got to like, I Mm -hmm. I don't want to sit here and do hair and makeup. And I know people listening. If you're like, I would love to have my hair and makeup done. Yes, it is super fun for one event to have. It is a privilege Mm -hmm. to have your hair and makeup done for one event. Like, you know, a big thing or maybe a few events or whatever. When you're doing it on a TV show every single day, you're like, you get two hours of like, your life. It's two hours of your life that are gone that you never get back and you want mm-hmm. it to not be that. But yeah. with Girls 5 Eva coming out of
4: the oh, year that we those, had, I was like, it was just, spectacular.
0: But I also just like, I just loved it. I was like, how much longer can we just sit? Can yeah. I just sit here and have you do my
4: hair and makeup? Like, yeah, yeah. Well, it also because you're like not at home. It was so, it was well, a that's also privilege true. to just yeah, be right. having some self-care. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I. there's only, you know, we're, I'm not like a fashion, this sounds stupid. I'm not a fashion person. Like I, to my point about never being on camera before, um, I'm not like bold And in the context of Top Chef, it's also not about us. Like, very decidedly, the show isn't about me and my fashion choices. And Padma is certainly bolder, and she came from a life of modeling and acting, and so it's, like, a different game for her. Mm -hmm. And it's taken me many years to, like, be comfortable in that and to make bolder decisions or to, like, just have fun with it and not feel fraught and, and feel pressure about what I wear and, Kind of like feel like I feel like my best, but I also feel like me. But I also feel like me in this edited version for television, and that can be okay. And it can be about me, and that's okay. You know, that was a hard. That's been a hard thing to get over for myself. Is like dressing up and feeling different than my than who I feel like I usually am. Putting on real life. I am yeah. Putting on like the TV gale like. Jeremy, my husband, always says, like, there's Gail and then there's TV Gail. And sometimes he's like, I really wish TV Gail were here to make me dinner because you're (laughs) not doing such a good job. Or, like, TV Gail would have, um, you know, would have said this and this and been way more decisive. But regular Gail's just really waning in her (laughs) decision making right now. Doing her best. Doing my best. Thank regular
0: you. Regular Gale is juggling being a mother and yeah. a wife and a daughter and uh, having a career and being a businesswoman and writing books and being a cha- You're juggling a lot of Thank things. Thank you. So yeah. now,
1: and Regular Gale has uh, a new show with TV Gale. That's right. Where <laughs> we actually
4: come together in a really nice way. Yes. There is a lot more of Regular Gale uh, in. The new version of TV Go. <laughs> okay. So the new show. Now we're getting really
0: meta. I don't know. <laughs> it is. It's hard. It's hard. So the new show is Top Chef Amateurs. Now, was this an idea that you, you guys had? Like, how did this come about?
4: Really, it came out of the pandemic in a lot of ways. Uh, when the world shut down and restaurants closed. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, what we all saw was, like, just the proliferation of home mm-hmm. cooking and the level of home cooking. Well, certainly and sourdough was bread. And- sourdough. Come on. I mean, so much. I was not one of those people because... Me neither. You know, again, trying to be a mother and a, mm-hmm. all the things. I'm not, I'm not keeping not a starter
0: alive. Are you kidding? Yeah. yeah. I can't. I'm I can trying barely to keep my children keep alive.
4: Let's be correct. Real. Thank you. Um, um, so I... You know, I saw it. We all saw it. Everyone just so many people became such prolific home cooks. Yes, and that was sort of, I think, the the impetus for Top Chef amateurs. That we've we've never been about amateur cooks. We've only been about professionals. That's kind of what the show's foundation has been. It's what differentiates us from every other food competition out there. It's not Top Chef has never been about people who like think it would be fun to be a chef, or think that they're a good. home cook and want to Mm -hmm. try their hand. It's always been about professionals at the highest level. But when restaurants shut down and home cooks got so good and also we wanted to like lift people up in a different way, Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
4: you know, our production company, Magical Elves, were like, this is, I think, the moment to maybe let some amateurs into the kitchen, some really great home cooks, and give them the Top Chef experience. So it isn't the same kind of competition. We are not expecting them to do the same thing. We aren't putting them through the ringer in the same way. It's sort of more about wish fulfillment. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we bring two home cooks from very diverse corners of the world, careers, you know, what they do, Uh, in their regular lives, into the Top Chef kitchen. And we sort of put them through a day in the life of Top Chef in a very quick, fun, relaxed, and like joyful way. So they come in and we give them a challenge that's based on a challenge we've done on the show over the years, iconic challenges. Um, and quick fires. And we sort of put them through oh, wait, that experience I and love gave that. them now, a little judge's table. Wait, that's so exciting.
0: Oh, it is. Gosh. It's funny.
4: You get to relive all the, like... Can
0: you tell me some of the yeah, t- yeah. the ones that you're you're doing? Because when does... The show starts next week or in July? It starts July, July 1st. Yeah. yeah, July 1st. Oh, my God. Right yeah. off
4: of the Top Chef finale. Um It airs right off of the finale uh, on July 1st. And so, things like uh, the Mise en Place race and... Um. Blind taste test. And, okay, blind taste
0: test is always yeah. my favorite. Mise en place also, because, like, you really see people's skills. And I feel yes. like as a home chef, that might be, that one's going to be tough.
4: It's really tough. Yeah. Uh, we do things like, a, you know, a, an amazing egg challenge that we did years ago on the show. Oh, we do, where you have to
0: cook the egg, the perf- like the five-minute egg or the...
4: Well, they can do whatever they want, but they have, like, 17 different kinds of eggs to cook with, and they have to cook them in a certain number of ways, and show a certain number of ki- right. techniques
0: with that. I remember this, and somebody got an ostrich egg. Yes, exactly.
4: Um, I mean, I'm really, I really am a fan. you You don't want to make Gail cry with their
1: eggs.
4: (laughs) No, that's the whole thing. That's why I love it so much. We do, oh, a challenge that, you know, there's always been on the show this sort of curse of scallops and risotto. Those are two dishes that the world knows. Like we've over, we've done too many scallops for the world to count. It's like a crutch and no one has been able to ever nail risotto on the show. So we make them do things like that. You know, we bring back all of the sort of lore of Top Chef for these mega fans who are really great cooks. And more than the fact that they're great cooks, because we're not looking for them to perform as professionals. They are, like, joyful, passionate cooks who just want to get in the kitchen. I love And, it. like, run around the Top Chef kitchen. And, by the way, that kitchen is enormous and crazy and industrial. And all of a sudden, we just, like, set these two people loose who haven't left their homes in eight months because this was, like, <laughs> deep quarantine. and And they get to come in and go crazy and cook their hearts out. And we give them two alumni, kind of all-stars as their sous chefs to offer support and guide them. And then we have two other alumni as my co-judges. So there's a lot of like fanning out moments of crazy fun silliness. And we all get to, you know, just give each other a big hug at the end of it.
1: It's a really fun show. I got to see an advanced screening of it. Wait, how did you get
4: to see it? I
0: didn't get that.
1: I work in the television industry. (laughs)
0: <laughs> You're so smart. How did I? I'm so. I'm annoyed. I want to see it. I'm so excited for it to. Pro- well, I'll just watch it on the. Yeah, premiere. just see it. It's It'll more count. It, that'll count. Yeah, more, I yeah, think. yeah. I got to
1: see do it. That. I think before I even knew that Gail was going to be on the podcast, I just got to see it. I think because I. Asked. Oh, nice. We got, I asked. Yeah, we, uh, we need of the ratings busy. Yeah. Oh, good. you
4: What? <laughs> it's really fun. I can't wait. I'm so You know exciting. what's funny is that I got it. Obviously, they send it to me to see in advance so that I can remember it. Because I have no memory for anything <laughs> I do. Like, I shoot. I've shot 18 seasons and, like, four spinoffs. At this point, my memory is completely shot about the show. I walk out, and the next morning can't tell you what we did the night before. But, uh, so I was watching it, and, you know, they send me a screener, which is a link to, like, screeners for all NBC shows. And you know what I realized when I got onto it? Is that I also have Peacock, and you know what that means? <gasps> Girls, guess what—we're starting to binge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Girls Five. Emma. I? I didn't know I had it. We had no idea. We had access to it, but because- we talked about
0: it, and and um, I feel like Gil was like, I don't, I don't know how to get Peacock. I can't. <laughs> I don't even know if I can figure it out. I don't well, know now I know.
4: That. Now you're part of the family. Part so I the- bet because if I can get Peacock, we can find you a way to get access to. Top Chef amateurs.
0: I mean, I also can just wait until next week and watch it after the finale yeah, I mean, of it's Top Chef.
4: Very soon. Very <laughs> very it's soon. actually
0: this week. When is this podcast airing? Next week, Casey?
4: Yeah,
1: Wednesday. Yeah, so it's this week. Oh, yeah. So it's week. so it's literally the next tomorrow. Day. Guys, tomorrow, people,
0: you can watch it tomorrow. It sounds super fun. I told you when you were telling me what the show was that Ike Baron, our friend Ike Baron Holtz, friend of the show, friend of me personally. Needs to, if you do another round, mm-hmm. I really need him to be on that show. He's so good and he loves it. We could do Mark and versus Ike Barinholtz. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we have
4: to get Mark on the show. He's such a good cook. And he like, he also knows the lore. I feel like he, he, he don't go up sure. against it. I think yeah. he's
0: watched every season of Top Chef. I've missed a few seasons. He's a champion. I, I think he's watched literally every fucking season. And he also has like a a mind like a steel trap. Yeah, he <laughs> and does. he remembers everything. <laughs> well, Which how about sometimes if if isn't we great. Can,
4: if, if if you guys can figure out how to get us a second season, we can do the work on the back end to get people to be on the show. We have to do like a celebrity amateurs, I think.
0: Yes. I think, I think would it would be fun. super fun because also it's like, it's not, you know, I have been asked for many years to participate in like celebrity blah, 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 whatever. And you never want to say... Yes, because it's always super cheesy and it's not, like, legit anything. You know what I mean? The yeah, The Top of course. Chef you is never so know. fucking legit. We everybody, make sure know. that
4: the experience is really fun. And it's the same crew. It's the same kitchen. It is—we were—we're all there. So it feels—I think it feels very much like you are walking into—
1: You know the chocolate factory. What a dream! Yeah, what a dream! I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people would be so into that because I think Top Chef has been appointment television for so many years. For so many people that really respect and love television, have long respected and loved Top Chef. So that includes. I agree. I think you. I personally, if I'm putting on my producer hat, I think it'd be easy to pull pull off a season of celebrity Top Chef amateurs because I think I a lot of celebrities would be like, yes, I want to do that for one day. Well, I let's agree. just
4: force our friend Samantha Hanks to make that happen. Of, of course. Samantha. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you guys know, you guys had a show that was just, that was one or two seasons called Star Plates. I Yeah, did that. You,
4: we, you were on that with us too. I, I was. Uh, we did. That was the first real show that Sam and I made under our Bumble Pie Productions um, umbrella. And...
0: It was super fun. You paired like a celebrity with a real chef for a day, and they got mm-hmm. to go into a restaurant and cook a signature like work line dish. service. Yeah, and I worked and work line service. Oh, it was very stressful. I found it very yeah. stressful.
4: It was supposed to be, but also you, It was. We gave you the tools to succeed. You did. You, I I learned a lot. <laughs> I we did learn to, a lot. Least, it was I mean, fun. I, could be wrong. I wasn't there that day, but
0: yeah, it was. It was. It was super fun, and then it was also very stressful.
4: Yeah, <laughs> you sorry. really they really put you in the really kitchen. Television. They really television. put you in
0: the kitchen, guys. And I really had to cook. And I'm not yeah. the best at that. And You're also I'm not
4: absolutely the- competent of oh seeing it
1: happen. Gail. Come on. You weren't there for when Busy burned her face making latkes It was very oh, traumatic.
2: Sweet.
1: Lord, It was traumatic. I'm it was really
4: latkas I- well, of all things. She burned
1: I the make, money maker.
0: First of all, <laughs> I make amazing latkes I have I really do. They were amazing. amazing. They rival. I will, like next anytime. We should have a latka
4: cook-off.
0: Let's just do it. Let's. We're, we're gonna just be, gonna have a Hanukkah
4: party
2: next we're year. We're gonna see, cool.
0: no, but like let's just do it this summer. We're gonna see yeah, each other fine. again this summer. Mm-hmm. Let's just make some lotkas. Let's do like a brunch and we'll make lotkas. Yeah. Yeah. My yeah. lotkas are a real chef's kiss. I've been perfecting mm. them since I was ten years old because I love lotkas.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The oil got away from me. I may have also been stoned. Casey, was I stoned? Who's really I think I was I mean possibly. I think I was stoned. And I and I just threw that lock cut in and oil burned my fucking face. And it was oh, that's very scary. Terrifying. Very scary. For a second I was like, well, I'm blind now, and that's just gonna be where where mm-hmm. I'm at. And that's okay. I just will have to figure out other things. But I do still have I have a scar on my eye.
4: That's like one of my worst kitchen. I mean, there's so Little many things star. that can happen in a kitchen, but slicing my finger on a mandolin and oh. burning myself with hot sputtering oil are like top two right there.
0: Ooh. Okay, slicing with the mandolin makes my vagina hurt. You know what I mean? Yeah. Every, like,
4: just, oh, that's it. Clinches right up. Clinches my every right there.
1: Every mm-hmm. person that's ever used a mandolin has cut their finger off. Every single person mm-hmm. that every mm-hmm. time they use one. It's like there's gotta be a better way. That's another yeah. thing. That's that's another business venture for another time. Let's invent a safe mandolin where Yeah, okay. You know I'm into that. We just, I I would love that. We, we can't keep chopping our fingernails. They have
0: off. they do have a little thing. I can't a use guard. a mandolin because they have a of
1: my fingernails. The guard, but mm. then like the guard always pops off and then like yep. in a frightened moment for some reason you try to like catch the potato and you just shove your hand through the mandolin. It's like correct. Yeah. It's it's not good. My uncle Tony only had like seven fingers by the end of his life. Okay. <laughs> it's like we can't. We have to. Well, fix it. I once was giving
4: a cooking demonstration to like eighty people, so it was like an intimate group, but enough people that like witnessed it. I'm giving a cooking demonstration. Oh my God.
0: I don't like it already. Right. Yeah. What happened on the
4: mandolin? Talking about never no. ever no. taking your eyes off the no. mandolin, right, people? And I look up, and there it goes off with the fingertip. Oh. I mean, not in a major way, but in enough that I was like bleeding all over in front of an audience and it's being recorded. And I had to like go grab a bandage and do the rest oh, of the man. cooking demo with one hand. I mean, it's just. Horrifying. Was that, was that the
0: worst moment you've ever had in front of people trying to make something? I,
4: yeah. I mean, there's been a few, but that, that was, that was, I, yeah, I had to also, you know, I've had the moment where like you turn on the blender without putting the top on and. <laughs> That happens sometimes because you're just, just too excited to get things started. I don't cooking know. Cooking
1: comedy. That's just a classic. Like, I'm kind yeah, of cook. into it.
0: I'm kind of into it. I certainly like Yeah, of there could
1: it. be a bloopers reel for
0: sure. <laughs> I mean, I, for sh- I would love it if there was a bloopers reel. Yeah, can I can find mean, it for you i i yeah i'm in i I just feel like, yeah, there's so many things that can go wrong while you're cooking the pressure of doing it in front of an audience or and talking at the same time. I mean, it's such a skill set that you essentially never thought you were going to have to have, mm-hmm. and then you've just developed, I guess as you've gone along,
4: yeah, I mean, all the training helped, but actually, to your point exactly. I think that that's what's part of the Top Chef formula that's been so amazing is our casting. Not of us. I mean, yes, we're amazing. But really (laughs) about uh, the contestants and why the show, I think, has had the longevity it has. People think it's just all about casting the best possible cooks, and it's not um, because most cooks cannot talk and cook at the same time. Right, right. And I think that is the magic Talking and cooking at the same time and making it interesting is a life skill that very few people have. And when you get it in a person who also has a story to tell, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and is interesting to watch in both regards, they can tell their story while simultaneously flambéing foie gras or whatever they're doing. That was a bad example. But, you know what (laughs) I mean? Like, that is – finding those people is actually like – Finding a nugget of gold in the mine or whatever you're doing. It's just, it it is,
0: it is super interesting. Like, are there ever people that casting, do you know about this process? Like, are there ever people that casting finds that they're like, this person really needs some help with the talking, but they're, we have to, we have to just try. You know?
4: Absolutely. I mean, I'm not, I, let me be clear that I do not do the casting. Right, of uh, course. We meet the cast once they're chosen. Tom has a little bit of a say at the beginning because they'll often, it's such a small chef world that there'll be so many times when he'll be on someone's resume and they'll be like, Tom, do you really oh. know this person? Or this person says they cooked for your, f- for a chef we know well. What, you know, and Tom can read a resume like a chef, like an employer. And so he gets involved a little bit. You know, he's been an EPO on the show since season one for that reason. Um w- we otherwise don't get involved in casting, but obviously over the years, especially through Samantha, uh, we, I, we see and learn the process so well. And it is really specific to find that right chemistry of the 15 people that come on every season. And there are so many different types of people that they cast. I mean, obviously, but also in the skills you need to have to be a contestant that's compelling. Oh my
0: goodness. And that
4: does not mean that just because you're compelling that you're going to do well. Right. The same way that, like, you have to be... As good you, you have to be a good cook, first and foremost, because that's what we're looking for as judges. If you can't cook, you're not going to make it. I don't care how great a person you are anymore. Like That doesn't fly, right? We are not making a show about how lovely these people are. Right. We Why? judge based on what's put in front of us, right. but our audience can't taste that. So the audience is judging based on how compelling they are. So it needs to be real balance to invest in us, right, in spending time watching our show. And there's plenty of chefs who are amazing chefs in their life, but they get into a kitchen under these circumstances and they can't navigate the kitchen. And they freak out, yeah. They freak out. There's eight cameras on you at all time. I'm like, we've seen it. We've seen it happen. Yeah, you know how it goes. The other things that like people as viewers don't see is like you know we often while they're cooking can't have the um, fans on because it interferes with our audio. So no. it's like 99 degrees in that kitchen, and which is sweating. why people are
0: always dripping sweat. I yes. do have to say that that was like yes. that was a mind blowing thing that I experienced. Also, I am a sweater. As most people who listen to this podcast know, I sweat a great deal and so when I went in to do the like walk through chat with the chefs that was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because I just was like oh my god I'm fucking pouring sweat it is so hot in there you cannot imagine how like insanely hot it is
4: yeah So there's, like, all these factors that even if you test really well as a contestant and you have the perfect resume, this is such a different... We don't really know how they're all going to react together to each other in the kitchen and if they're going to be able to tell their stories and that sort of crapshoot. But, you know, the casting process really tries to find those people who they think will be able to also psychologically uh, live through the journey. It is, as you've seen, especially this year, like, it is no easy... No. walk in the park. It's a no. really emotional, mental game more than anything else.
1: Yeah. Oh. And it's been such a pleasure to see some of the old contestants coming back and just being mentors. Yeah. I have such a sp- soft spot for Richard Blaze and for I Dale Talladeh. Very, very soft spot for Dale.
4: <laughs> so do I. Yeah. So do I. He was really like, in my eyes, the sleeper hit. Yeah. He is like, and I don't want to speak for him, but I think he'll appreciate this. That, you know, the last time he was on the show as a contestant, he was sort of a young, uh, fierce, sort of trying to be the badass. He gave off this tough guy scenario, and he was much younger, and he came back this season as, like, the best, coziest uncle you've ever had. And we all fell back in love with him. I mean, I loved him then for what he was, but now as a person, as someone who I, like, cherish in my life and I followed him the whole time like he had four restaurants just a few blocks from my house and yeah. we were regulars at Tall Day and we loved it and I've kept up with him and we've worked together over the years. I shot a pilot with him in 2019 for a different show. Like we I love him but when he came back for this season like Dale had just grown at, as a person. I don't want to just say like he became a dad, it wasn't that simple, but No. It he, never is. He really is just like a A stellar human.
1: When he came to watch What Happens Live, uh, he was so lovely and he was so personable and like just such a made like such a nice connection in a way that people don't always to someone. I love hearing that who's working behind behind the the scenes. scenes. It kind of felt like he had seen himself on the show and had Mm. made like a little bit of a decision that I'm going to make like change it up a little bit. And so he actually said, "I've been working on some things." Like it, yeah. you know, oh, and so he, he did, and yeah. it, or he did, and it yeah. paid off. And he, not only that, but he had some shit
4: in his life. Like, yeah. you know, his restaurant partnerships in Brooklyn, he had like a little empire here, and it did not go as planned because being a restaurateur is the craziest, fucking hardest goddamn job right now. Yeah. And it, I mean, not of all things, but it yeah. certainly it's is hard. incredibly challenging. And, and he, and that didn't but go as planned. But I would plans. say,
0: I just think people yeah. don't understand how hard. Being a restaurant tour is yeah, glamorous. I just when I was doing you do so much incredible work, Gail, for all kinds of nonprofits, and I know this past year you've done even more work. You know, for people who work in restaurants in the restaurant industry. but like when I was, you know, posting about a lot of different organizations and trying to help. I, you know, I worked at California Pizza Kitchen.
2: A lot, actors, a lot of actors, a lot of
4: artists, a lot of actors,
0: a lot of people work in the restaurant industry. There is like a real cross section. Yes. And if you have done that, you know what a tight community, a restaurant becomes, even if you're working at a chain restaurant like me or if you're working at like Jean George. Um But I was always, like, surprised by some of the responses I got over the pandemic of, like, oh, you're trying to raise money for your rich friends who own restaurants. And I was like, what? Who? Huh? Whoever got, whoever became a billionaire? I mean, well, somebody did, I'm sure. But, like, very few people. Very, very few people. Like, I just know that, like, in order to own, operate, and run a restaurant, you have to You bleed it. You have to love it. It has to be in your body and soul. And you take care of your staff. And Mm -hmm. like, you're so reliant on, you're like working month to month in restaurants most of the time. If
4: if that, totally. Yeah, oh my God. So
0: many times they're working, yeah, like in the red. Check to check.
4: You know, you you don't, can't get paid. You can't pay anyone before you get paid. The chain is so difficult. The margins in a restaurant, the profit margins are dismal. And we have seen, like, the cracks in the system like no other this year. And I could make this a whole other conversation. But, but you know, it is definitely a misconception that chefs, you know, celebrity chefs, restaurateurs um, are all kind of, like, rich and just sitting back and, and letting the money roll in. And really what I saw this year more than anything is most of the restaurateurs I know worried about losing their homes and not being able to pay for, you know, their right. children. Like, literally – the most devastating collapse of an industry and it it's it's a fight every day yeah yeah and it really it's is. you
0: know and i think that one thing top chef has con- always done and i think you've done such a great job at is like to bring people in so that they understand what goes into it the heart and soul of the industry itself and you know and to be really aware i mean i think you guys we're probably the, the, at the forefront of people thinking about, like, where does my food come from?
2: hmm yeah. yeah. Like, that you know, wasn't before,
0: before 2006. I don't think that was really, like, on the radar right. of things that people thought about.
4: I think you're right. And I happily give credit to Tom here for really being our North Star on so many of those issues, specifically for the restaurant industry, um, you know. And I'm grateful to Tom and Padma for, like, you know, being my... My co-pilots at that table for a lot of reasons, both of them differently, but specifically for issues of kind of throwing open the door to the world of restaurants and being transparent about it and and making people understand that food touches everyone. Yes, it's a universal language and that sounds very like um, kumbaya, but really it means that it is political. You can't say just stick to food because food is about sustainability and about politics and about the supply chain and about uh, the way we treat each other and run our businesses and and the economy. And treat
1: treat women. And treat women. And everybody needs it and everybody deserves it. That's right. And
4: it touches, food touches every single person's life. And I think one of the lessons Top Chef has been able to sort of open the conversation to has really been... And this sounds like very heavy, but you know that everyone is a foodie. Like everyone loves to tell me, "I'm not a foodie. I don't like food. I'm not into it." But whether they like Top Chef or not, and my answer is like, "You're human. You're you're human. We all eat. Yeah, eat. Whether you like it or not, you like something or you don't like. You have an opinion.
1: Yeah,
4: and you and you make decisions based on that opinion every single day. And those opinions you know, are waves in the bigger universe and they are impactful. If you think, you know, think more thoughtfully about them and food is one avenue where you can see those changes being made.
0: Guys, the takeaway is Top Chef Amateurs tomorrow night. Let's, let's check it out.
1: We're all excited
0: about it. Very excited
1: excited to to have it premiere and everybody's going to love it. I know it's really good. It's really good. You should be so proud.
0: I will say like, yeah, 2020 has a lot of, personal dark spots, global dark spots. Was that, I guess, I don't even know. A lot of, a lot. It yeah. has a lot. And you truly, oh God, you and your family are my, are also my, um, like my bright spot of the-
4: Oh, busy. We feel the same. We truly do. Of that do. year.
0: Like we, I'm so, I was so grateful for your friendship. And-
4: Ditto, just ditto.
0: So happy to we're, spend so much time and with we're you still- together. Yeah.
4: We're still here for it. And we I will know. be. Because now I you're know. one of us. You you moved here. You're a New oh. Yorker.
0: Well, I love you. I'm going to let Thank you go. You. Uh, I love you too. Thank you for chatting today, guys. And it was so good so to see soon. you, Casey. Yes. So nice
4: to see you, too so We will celebrate so many okay. things. we will. A pleasure, Casey. It really was.
0: My friend, Justin Long has a podcast. It's called Life is Short with Justin Long. And in it, Justin talks with celebrities and musicians and actors and artists about how they get the most out of life. Have I been asked to be a guest on this podcast? I have. Has the scheduling worked out yet? It has not. But I guarantee you it will happen because I love Justin, so much. And I love Life is Short with Justin Long. In his candid interview style, he knows just what to ask to pull out unexpected stories from his guests' lives. I mean, some of the stories you wouldn't expect, like when John Bon Jovi shared that his mom wanted to crawl under the seats after his performance in a local talent show because he was so bad, or when Allison Bree shared the unfortunate peeing incident that happened on the set of Mad Men. But don't worry, he also asks hard-hitting questions like, if you could have one snack food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Nachos. Obviously, Justin. Come on. All right, listen, I love listening to it because it feels like I'm hanging out with my friend. He's uh Kind of just a compelling and interesting and unique human. And he always has been. And I think you'd really enjoy Life is Short with Justin Long. So I think you should check it out. Listen to the latest episodes of Life is Short with Justin Long on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Wondery, feel the story. Listen. Maybe you've been doing too much online shopping. I relate. And maybe looking at your credit card statement every month is something that is not fun for you. Listen, I don't blame you, but here's the deal. Upstart can lift that weight off your shoulders so that you can finally feel the relief of being free of credit card debt. I mean, if you're carrying a credit card balance month after month, you're not the only one, I promise you. So Upstart is a fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online, whether it's credit cards or consolidating high interest debt or funding personal expenses. Over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. Unlike other lenders, Upstart actually looks at more than just your credit score. It looks at things like your income and your employment history. And they that means that they can offer you smarter rates with trusted partners. So five-minute online rate check. You can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. And you can receive funds as fast as one business day after they accept your loan. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash best. That's upstart.com slash best. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. It's important. You know we need credit. <laughs> loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart. Dot com slash best. Gail Simmons, true delight. I get to see the her v- so soon. I'm going to see her. Um, and I'm actually really excited to watch that show. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, you'll like it. I'm a fan of all of the chefing shows.
1: <laughs> the chefing shows. All the, all the iterations of Top Chef
0: all the iterations of Top Chefs. Listen, I talked, we talked so much today. We didn't talk about anything happening in the world, Casey. I mean, no. I don't know. Should we? Do you have anything that you feel like you should talk about? You want to talk about?
1: No, I mean, you, I, I was just like annoyed that stuff that you said on another podcast got in all the magazines, but whatever. It was important. What? Which one? <laughs> what? That, it was what? I that you stuff you talked about like uh you talked about Franco on another podcast and it was like got in all the papers and I don't even think you said anything really you know it wasn't well, you want to know what
0: happened
1: what because this is ac- it's actually really
0: fucking interesting so I've been doing a bunch of podcasts and Chris like this is the thing that's where you're like yeah you make these decisions in life right like you're like I don't really want to put myself out there in certain ways it's too much and I don't love it I don't love the way it makes me feel um so I'm so I so I do I had I had like essentially quit Chris let me just I'm gonna tell you about me for a second I'm just so you it. can get I'm so you can know okay so I had essentially decided I didn't really want to act anymore be an actor and TV I was a little bit having kind of like a similar vibe to you also like I just didn't love the things that were out there and I don't love the industry itself and like being a part of it means a lot of times having to deal with things that like I'm not okay with and so if I'm going to continue to live my life in the way that I want to live it like and be you know and raise my kids to be a certain type of way. It's like, what am I doing? What am I doing partaking in this system that sucks? And then Tina Fey called me and I love her and we're friends and I think she's fantastic and I love the stuff she does. And she had this show and I was just like, well, I got to do this fucking show. The show's amazing. And it was 2020 and who knows? So I'm doing the show. And now here we are. I have this, we have this podcast, I have this show that's going to be picked up for our second season and you know the network has certain asks uh, you know especially around now it's like FYC everything like, for your consideration like Emmy shit like have you had to do that stuff for your special? Have you done any for your consideration stuff for your special?
3: No uh, it didn't really get pushed for that and it's well, I mean it part- you know
0: it's, it's weird right?
3: Yeah, but it was also, it was a moment when I was like, I did this thing that was like super critically praised and it was on HBO and it had a social point And I was like, oh, if I don't get, if they, I'm never going to be in the club. I'm never going to get the invite into the club. Like that was the thing I made that would have had chatter about that. And I'm not going to be in the club and that's fine. That's fine.
0: I mean, <sighs> it's all so weird. It's all such a, it's all such a machine And it's also part of a system, you know what I mean? And so, but also now that I have agreed to be a part of the show and I love the job, love it. And it's so creative, it's creatively and personally like the most fun acting job I've ever had in my life. So then you wanna be a good team player and you're like, I'm gonna do the stuff that is asked of me, right? And so there were some like specific to entertainment uh, podcasts that came through like, not like if you were to reach out and ask me to do your pub- like, podcast, like like just, you know, through my publicist, through yeah. the the publicity of the machine of the show and all that stuff. And it's always good now that I have a podcast, I know it's always good to do other people's podcasts, you know. And so I was doing like a bunch of the like FYC podcasts and that one with that guy was like, where the Franco stuff got brought up, you know, I thought that the interview was going well. Like he seemed to, to know what he was talking. Oh, you know a lot, you know, Chris, <laughs> a lot of times you do these things and I'm like, okay, buddy. Um, <laughs> but you know, he seemed to like kind of have a, a handle on what he was talking to me about. And I was like, okay, I can deal with this. And then out of nowhere, he was like yeah so I was really surprised that Seth Rogen said he would never work with James Franco again weren't you and it's like I'm fucking smart enough for the clickbait of it all and I get it and I was like I mean I don't I really don't have anything to say about but but at the same time I was in the I was in the process of a day of like doing fucking interviews where you're like soldiering through it and So I just sort of was like fumbly a little bit at first. I I, I don't know, like like maybe trying to answer it, I guess. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. And then I was like, uh, I don't know. I was like, whatever. I'm like, you know what? Can we not do this? You seem like a chill bro. Like, can you just cut that out? I don't really want to make the whole clickbait of this thing be about James Franco when that literally happened to me in my book when my book came out and I was bummed as fuck about it because I had like written this whole book about what it has been like for what my experience as a woman in this world at this time and then in the entertainment industry was what my experience was and like 90% of the headlines in that one week were all about a man yeah. You know, who I wrote who I wrote about for like one paragraph. And it was just such a bummer to me. So in the while I'm talking to the guy. So I haven't listened to the podcast. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't I don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> but in the in the interview, I sort of stopped. and I was like, can we not? Can you not do that? Like, can we just take that? Will you just take that out for me? Because like, I just am not. I don't know. I sounded like an idiot. I was not prepared for that at all. I felt like this wasn't what that was about. And I just know that it's going to be the clickbaity thing. And I just don't want that to be it. And he was like, oh, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, we don't really edit the podcast. And I was like, yeah, but you can. And I'm just asking you to because that was like a little bit off topic of what we were going to be talking about. Anyway, I guess he didn't edit it out. I didn't
1: see that shit. Oh, my God. It got picked up by all of these things. And I was so irritated because it's like what we talk about all the time that like it was like a clickbaity thing. And it was like Busy Phillips reacts to Seth Rogen's not going to work with James Franco anymore. She said on a podcast and it's like all these headlines. And then it goes to the quote and like your quote is like. Uh, this guy asked you this question and you said like, I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> like, That's basically what you said. And it's like, well, I guess it's good. But then I'm like, you know, we're doing this podcast every, every week. And you're saying fascinating things every week. And, but that guy serviced that out.
0: That's the fucking, I that's guess, the bummer. Yeah, that that's... guy fucking serviced that quote out. Yeah. That's what it is. And that's why it's such a fucking bullshit. Everybody listening. Just so you know, how this shit works. That podcast host sent that clip to every publication he had, any like, and his publicist or whatever. And like, that's how that shit gets disseminated out to all of the things. And then the truth is, once you get one bite, like, then you're good because. Other people will pick it up if it's something that's getting traction. And then it spreads and and spreads. And and it spreads and and spreads. But it's just bullshit. It's fucking bullshit.
3: I did it. That makes
0: me so gross.
3: I did an interview once uh, that was about like the craft of joke writing and all about like like, pick a joke of yours that you analyze and explain to them, okay, here was what earlier drafts were like. And here's how you put it together. And here's some. I was aiming for this punchline, but I found this along the way, you know, just like real nerdy stuff. And then at the tail end of the interview, it was when Louis CK had first come back and they were, they were like, Oh, it must be kind of, you perform at the cellar. It's been kind of weird there lately, huh? With all the Louis stuff. I was like, yeah. Like, they're like, what do you think about it? I was like, it's, it's really tough to know what to think about it. And, you know, I wish that, you know, I, I feel like probably he could, be owning it harder or saying more about it. And it would mean that the rest of the comics who perform there don't have to feel like they're taking responsibility for anything he did, which I think is a pretty basic thing to say. Yeah. And that was the, I believe the last or next to last question in a very long interview and the headline they put on it was Chris Gethard talks about what it's like at the Comedy Cellar now that Louis C.K. is back. Of course. And I was like... You can ask the question and I can answer it, but I actually emailed them. I was like, I emailed the, cause the guy who wrote it, I've known for years. And I was like, this headline's not fucking cool, man. He's like, I don't pick the headlines and you're right. Let me talk to them. And they changed it. But I was like, if you said to me, if you reached out and said, we want to interview you about what it's like at the cellar now that Louie's back, I would have probably said, I don't think I'm. I don't think my opinion is the one that's highest priority right now. I'm not right. sure what I feel about it. You know, like there's probably other people of higher stature or who aren't white dudes with glasses comics who you want to be talking to. Insta- <laughs> Whatever it is, you know what I mean? Like there's a million reasons, and, but and or or I might have said, fuck yeah, let's get in the ring and I'll speak to it, but don't make me think you're talking to me about my, uh, craftsmanship as a creative person so you can do like that actually felt very hurtful to me cuz i was like yeah did you ever give a fuck about the thing that you that i was you told me you were excited about this thing and i was excited to talk about this joke were you ever excited about it or not so not that i'm like a defender of 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 louie in any way but i was like ooh i don't like the deceptive side of this i don't like being well, manipulated you
0: don't want to get pulled into No one wants to get pulled into like essentially a trap for clicks, a clickbait trap, which is what that is.
1: These are all subjects that if you want to speak on them, you want to be incredibly thoughtful about what you're about to say. And you should be given a moment to think about it and to say whether or not you want to speak on them. And also,
0: by the way, yes, that's what I'm my point, too, is like I was doing a fucking podcast that's like for your consideration, Girls5eva. Like, dude, know your fucking time and place. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I just, it's just bullshit. Like, it's just bullshit to, I don't know, pull a fast one on people. That being said, it does make me feel like we need to come up with a better way of selling this show. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast? Yeah, this podcast. I feel like it's maybe it would be to our benefit if we just thought about like when we post about it, we should just say that episode in which Chris Gethard talks about Louis C.K., Busy Phillips talks about <laughs> James Franco. Oh,
3: that would be amazing.
0: And Casey St. Ange dishes a story about David Letterman that she's never
3: told publicly before. <laughs> Boom. Boom. And then they all get to this part and they realize they've finally been the ones master manipulated. The tables have turned.
0: Chris, I'm into it. I'm down if you all are. I guess we anyway, finally figured it out. I do think that that's like such a, bu- what if we tried it? What if we tried, Chris, we'll leave you out, you and Louise. Oh, Louis go CK, for broke. But I just feel like, what if we, what if we tried it? Gail, Gail breaks her silence about Tom Calicchio's hat. Busy (laughs) talks about James Franco. Yeah, she goes there. (laughs) I mean, it's worth a, you know. Casey tells a shocking story of Dave Letterman (laughs) raging out at a fan. At Duran Duran. (laughs) And Duran Duran.
1: If we're gonna be victims of clickbait, it might as well be for victims and... The Beneficiaries. Yes. 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 And
3: Chris Gethard tries yoga. (laughs) Uh,
0: Chris Gethard single-handedly ended a small Sri Lankan business. (laughs) And also has thoughts on Louis CK. Um, I don't know, guys. I'm down. I'm open to it. That sounded exciting. I would listen to that podcast. (laughs) Me too. Mm -hmm. And then they get here and they're like
1: fucking three hours and I don't even get a goddamn... Are you kidding me? <laughs> Chris, tell everyone where they can see your special. Th- this special is really good, by the way. It's really, really funny. It it's, is actually very special. Yeah. <laughs> it's a special special. <laughs> it's literally... I it's like very. I think it's a very special special. It's literally special. It's like part documentary, mm-hmm. part comedy special it's very diy punk rock comedy special called half of my life
3: it's on amazon and and um vimeo and all the places apple. where you i got i got, Pro, I got
0: apple apple it. plus
3: yeah you can find it everywhere and it's cheap and I, it's it's it ties in, it's actually funny it ties into a lot of what you're saying cuz I self-funded the whole thing. We shot it at 10 different venues, and I said, let me just take a bunch of money that I probably shouldn't be spending and do it myself, because I just wanted to do something where I was like pretty certain that I stood by it in every way, and it wasn't messed up with all the notes and all the stuff we get tangled up in as entertainers, and I just tried to make something with a lot of heart that's like, here's what it's like to do small venues all over the country. and to be like, yeah, I used to host a talk show and I had an HBO special, but I still rent a car in Buffalo and sit in traffic trying to get to the show in Detroit. <laughs> and that's just kind of the reality of being a touring artist. And here's like a, you know, there's footage with alligators and a show in Baltimore where a girl gets up on stage unexpectedly and wrestles me and <laughs> just sort of a lot of jokes and chaos. And then also a lot of thoughts about what it's like to sort of turn 40 and be a dad and wonder if you should still be doing all these things out on the road. So I I think people might like it. I've been, I've been pretty psyched with how the response has been.
1: I really enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed your comedy. I think, you know, um, I just think you're great. I think you've been super generous with your audience about the struggles you've had. And also you've been super generous with, I know people sort of giving them feedback on, on their struggles in a way that I think is, I just think it's really generous and, and kind of moving to, to watch. And so that like, besides being really funny, um, that's, why I'm a fan of yours. So it makes me so happy that you're um, just enjoying success on your own terms and putting good stuff out into the world. And this is no exception.
3: That's super, super nice of you. Thank you. I
1: agree with everything Casey said.
3: (laughs) Well, thank you too.
0: (laughs) But listen, I have a question that I realized I didn't get to ask you earlier in this show that I kind of have always wanted to know about a stand up at your level and of your creativity because i feel like you do have such a unique voice. And this is the question that i have. Are you a fan of other stand-ups? And do you watch other people's specials or are you just like i can't even i'm not i not looking?
3: I I am and i do but very selectively. Um Doing a ton of shows in a live setting, I, I I I do I just always have loved you know, like I think when you are an entertainer and I think stand-ups in a particular way, like you definitely feel like an oddball. Like you don't you don't wind up doing it because you feel like you really have a firm footing in society. So I've always loved the sense of community and I will say I'm I'm the past couple of years I've actually been getting just progressively more and more um, exasperated is the word I'm looking for. It's become very fragmented and all this like PC and there's too much, oh, I'll cancel culture's evil and then other people on the other end where I go. It's very exasperating, but at the end of the day, I love watching live comedy. I'll seek out specials from friends or ones that I hear interesting. Like right now I'm actually... Rory Scovel just, I think, two days ago, put out a special that's part documentary. Did he? I love Rory. Yeah, he he did six fully improvised shows, and it's kind of like a documentary showing the anxiety going into just completely improvising stand up. And I'm watching that right now. And then, my God, that's insane. There's com. I I always love finding comics. Like I think Roy Wood Jr., who's on the Daily Show, is going to be. He Uh, should already be an absolute household name. Like he should be at the Chappelle level of everyone should be paying attention to him. Stuff, and then smaller people too. Like there's a guy named Monroe Martin who I think is doing brilliant stuff. Chloe Hilliard. There's a kid named Alex English in New York who is doing tons of shows. He's just so good. Just so good. So there's a lot of people out there who I watch and I go, oh, this is why I still love doing it because I get to see people who are doing cool stuff and I just uh, find it very very motivating, very inspiring. Oh, I wonder, I have a lot of jokes about lawn care right now, but maybe at some point I'll have something important <laughs> to say again and I'll get to say it. Who knows? Who knows?
0: But lawn care is important. Hey, Getting rid of that bamboo, is. we're all rooting for you.
3: Someone's got to represent the former hip Brooklyn artist, so I'm happy to be the uh, the guy who used to be like the king of Greenpoint comedy who now worries a lot about broadleaf weed care.
0: <laughs> I mean, have you thought about writing your next book about this experience, this current pivot in your life?
3: I've definitely thought about at least doing a stand-up special called I Used to Be Cool, Now I'm a Suburban Dad, Sometimes I Get My Head About It, but at the end of the day, I think it's okay. I think that's the <laughs> title of something. I think that's the title. I don't know if that's a book that or is, special or what, but it's something. Yeah, that's
0: definitely that's definitely something. That is yeah. something. I mean, that's why like the song Losing My Edge is so fucking brilliant and I still like get down to it. I've been getting down to it, since I was like 22 before I really <laughs> understood what losing your edge really is. Because mm-hmm. now I know. Now I know.
3: <laughs> it's been a couple, a weird couple years since my TV show got canceled. It was like, oh, I used to be the cool kid, and now I'm not. And it, I feel like the pandemic's given me a lot of time to just kind of do some soul searching and go like, and that's great too. And that means like you hung on, and like that means. That like all, like, I don't have a cool, spe- like my old special was all about suicide attempts. It's like, it's probably right. a really good thing that I don't have anything that edgy anymore. Cause it means I right? didn't fucking kill myself. Like, that's a good right. thing. It's a good thing that I have a lot of jokes about how much I like my weed whacker. Like, that's a good thing. It means yeah. I'm alive to tell that joke now. It's good. Yeah.
1: Good. I'm, you're I'm here, with you.
3: Survivor.
1: Not, yeah. Not being cool means you're a. You survived being yeah. cool.
3: I'm like alive with a bad hairline and bags under my eyes because my kid never stops moving. Great. Great. <laughs> Perfect. Happy about it.
0: That's relatable to me.
3: <laughs> Your right, hairline's t- great. Who are you kidding?
0: <laughs> I have to tell you something though. You know, I just turned 42 last week. I do think my hair my hair won't grow long anymore, Casey. Oh, interesting. It like stops. Huh. Right above my boobs. And all I ever want is mermaid hair. You know, like yeah. where you can cover your nipples with your hair. And yeah. also the nipples are... Maybe it's also... Maybe my oh, hair... The maybe nipples it's not are my hair, Maybe it's my nipples yeah. are lower. Yes. Oh, my yeah.
1: gosh. Sorry. Of course. Of course. Sorry you had to have that epiphany <sighs> on a podcast. A
0: fucking bummer for talk me. talk about
3: clickbait headlines.
0: Yeah. Oh, guys. Write it down. Casey, write it the fuck <laughs> down. This is what I'm telling you. From now on, when we do this fucking podcast... We are making a list of all of the possible clickbait headlines. It doesn't matter if it's like true, just whatever clickbait headline you can think of. And that is all we're going to post from now on when we post the show on Instagram, okay? Okay. Just bullet points of clickbait. That's probably bullshit. <laughs> but- in the case that it might not be, aren't you going to want to listen to the whole fucking thing? You are. yeah.
1: And then we'll just tag People People Magazine or whatever and be like, just to make sure they saw it.
0: It is funny though. Wait, real fast. I just want to say this because I loved that Bo Burnham special because I love musical shit too, Obvi. Yeah. But like when it gets dark at the end, I a little bit was like, I mean, dude, I know you have like a long-term girlfriend and she's living inside at like the nice house and she directed Hustlers. Like, <laughs> You're not alone. You know what I mean? <laughs> not that, like, he can't struggle, but I'm just saying... Did you watch it, Chris?
3: Listen, I have great love for Bo, but you know what I do I think is really interesting? Because I'm with... There is a whole thing, too, of, like... because And my special got backlash like this, too, from com- some comedians and comedy fans of, like, ah, it goes dark, and how real is that? But the one thing that always astounds me, and I, I, I got to say, too, is, like, someone tagged me in a tweet that I, I initially some fan was like, that's leave Gethard out of it. And I was like, no, it's a fair point where they were like, how come when guys like Gethard and Bo Burnham, and I think they said Mike Birbiglia put out stuff that's like dark and thoughtful, they don't get like endless think pieces shitting on them like Hannah Gadsby did for it. And I was like, yeah, and totally. somebody was like, leave Gethard out of it. I was like, no, that's pretty true. Like yeah. Yeah, everybody's going to have their opinions on all these things, but I do not deny that Hannah, who I don't know, took a lot more flack for doing something that I've done, it, that Bo's done, that like it's it's, it's really weird. And,
1: and also I've noticed that when um when women are, you know, very feminine, hetero Presenting um, women comedians do go have that sort of dark humor. People often um, give it the rap of being like very attention seeking. Da- you have daddy issues, you know, and and it's like, yeah, of course it's fucking attention seeking. I'm a fucking comedian, like yeah. that's the point of. <laughs>
0: It's the name of the game, guys. That's that's yes. a point
1: of being a comedian. And I'm asking do- you to
3: point a light at me and give me an amplification <laughs> device. Yes, I want literally
1: attention. attention seeking. People do it on Twitter too. It's uh you know on a on a smaller scale when uh when you'll see like guys get dark in in a funny way and people are like, this is brilliant and then women get dark and people are like, did you get that attention you ordered? And I'm like, guys, oh, Lord. I,
0: I mean, look no further than all of the entertainment that we consume and like having written a pilot, like having been a part of shows in development, like the amount of times when it's like, I just feel like she's not likable enough. Yeah. And it's like, was Walter White likable? Like what? like, We're entering into the story like we don't we don't know her journey. So we need more. We need to like her more in the beginning. And it's like, I mean, House was House likable. I don't feel like that was like we knew House's backstory when he was just a dick. Like, I I just it's always the the thing.
1: And then knowing that, like, well, knowing what, you know, when you get to your late 40s, oh, guess what? You're never going to like her. That's, you know what I mean? You can make right. the request, you can make the request that she be more likable, but if she gets too likable, that's going to cause you to not like her. And so, <laughs> you, try it. you know, I, I know that that seems like a reasonable request, but she could be too likable, not likable enough. And just, you know, it's been my, Chris, I'm sorry that you have to listen to us going, this could be a whole other three hour podcast that you could return for.
3: I just hope you're getting the attention you're looking for right now.
1: Thank you. Finally, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> he
0: sees through it all. <laughs> he sees it for what it is. And you know what? Next time we're on a train together, I'm going to fucking scream.
3: Tear, <laughs> me a, <laughs> tear me a third one because you may have torn me a second one 15 or 16 years ago. So,
0: you guys, I now, now I just, now it is what happened. Regardless of what actually did, in now it is officially what happened.
3: I have this instinct that it may in fact have been what happened. So I'm willing to no, commit to it. If you are
0: me too. I'm committing, I'm committing to it. Wow. <laughs> add it to the clickbait, add it to the clickbait. Yep. Okay.
3: It's on the All list. Right.
0: Well, Chris, you're a real delight and, um, and a talent and a, lovely human and a dad and a like lawn maintenance expert.
3: Thank you so much for saying the last one. It's the one that's most important to me right now. So thank you.
0: (laughs) I know I can tell. I can tell when you've literally brought it up five times, Uh it obviously (laughs) is something that is like, you feel very deeply about in this moment in your life. And I am here for it because it's all about seasons, guys. And you never (laughs) know where you're going to end up. And I bet if you had gone back in time and shown career suicide like this right now, this moment and the bamboo and the lawn care, I bet he would have been like, what,
3: what would he have said? I think about, I actually think about it a lot. And I sit there. I feel like if you had shown me when I was like 19, 20, 21 years old and like pray, literally praying for death. If you showed me where I was at right now, I would have like fallen down on my knees and cried tears of joy. Um, I feel like thirteen-year-old me would have been like, "What a lame fuck!" But then the the one in between would have been like, "Oh, thank God, thank God, you got to the other side of this nonsense." So I try to li- I try to remember that. I try to remember that.
0: Aww, I that love that. Me cry. I know. I actually really love that. It's my one. It's the one magical invention I wish we could have. <laughs> I my one magical invention, Chris, that I wish we could have is i wish there was some sort of like time machine photo booth Ooh. that like if shit was hard if things were like not going well for you or whatever or you were just in a moment you could go in and it would show you one snapshot from the future that's for real going to happen and yeah. like you don't get to decide when or where or how or whatever it just comes out and like you just know that it's everything's going to be okay Anyway, that'll be amazing. Can someone invent that, please? <laughs> we'll put
1: that in the in the list with the clickbait.
2: All right, really Chris,
1: we should let you go because you have long care and child care to Indeed. do. Yeah. This was thank a joy. You. I, thank, thank you, you so for much. having me.
3: It was really a great conversation. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Chris. And everybody at home, thanks for hanging out with us for so long. We love you mm-hmm. and we'll talk to you soon. Oh, wait, we love you. We love you.
2: I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing my best.
0: Oh, no.